Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smashbox TV Podcast 470. I am your host, John Van Derzen, otherwise known as Johnny V. I don't have a co-host tonight. Terry Miller earlier today told me, he's like, oh yeah, man, I forgot to tell you. I'm 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 flying over to Croatia and then somewhere else. I'm gonna do some doubles thing and maybe playing a master's event. What do you do? When you're a world traveler like Terry Miller, you just do that. And I thought about calling up Dust, who's been a co-host with us before, but he just interviewed Isaac. He got to do the whole Tournament Central, which is really cool if you haven't watched it. Um, after most of our broadcasts for the DGPT, we've got, you know, sometimes it's Brian Earhart, sometimes it's uh, Nate Perkins, but Dust got to do the hosting. And so he got to do a nice interview with Isaac. So rather than subject Isaac to the same host twice, because we know how people hate that, <laughs> just ask Reddit. Just ask Reddit how popular that is. Um, I figured I would just uh, write up some questions, take some questions from the board, and interview Isaac, who's sitting here um, in our, is it, is it still the Disc Baron Digital Green Room? I don't know. He kind of does some stuff with Terry on the side, so we'll call it the Disc Baron Digital Green Room. And uh, he's kind of he told me he's kind of a morning guy. So without any further ado, we're going to bring in our 2023 PDGA World Champion and two-time major champion, Isaac Robinson. Hey, Isaac, how you doing? Doing well. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. One of the things I love, I'll say this, one of the things I love about when Terry's not here is that I don't usually broadcast till one in the morning, so I can I can actually get some sleep, because even after we do our after show, there's always the private after after show, where we shut everything down, and him and I will sit next to each other and just gossip for usually about an hour, yep. about things that are, things he hears <laughs> on tour Things he, you know, things he sees, people he talks to, places he goes. We kind of chat about uh, and ge- general stuff, life, kids, all that other stuff. Things that, you know, first days, first day of school stuff. Things you don't have to worry about anymore. Which is what today was. Are you, are, are you are you on the social medias? Did you see? Do you get to see all the pictures of all these these friends of yours, maybe that have kids going to school? 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> For sure. Uh, <laughs> well, first of all, I want to say congratulations on your PDGA Worlds win. It's it really is a, a truly an elite group of disc golfers. They get to call themselves champ. You know, like from now on, people call you champ, and that's what you get to. And you've got two two majors, an even more elite list of people who have have multiple majors or even multiple majors in one year. Um, do you feel like? I mean, you've won two majors this year. Do you feel like your game? elevates to majors or do you feel like you kind of play the same all season and you maybe just happen to win these two majors? Like, how do you, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, maybe a bit of both, but I'm definitely putting more work, more practice, uh, more time kind of studying the course, um, when it comes to majors than I do week in and week out on the pro tour. Um, just because they do have a little bit more weight and, uh, you know, I want to, I want to play my best at, at the bigger tournaments. So there's definitely more time, more thought put into it. Well, that makes a lot of sense. How early did you get to, uh, green, uh, to the, I say, I call it green mountain to smugs. Um, it used to be the green mountain challenge, all this other stuff. So how early did you get to smugs compared to some of the other players? Cause we saw the week before your brother take down a win. Awesome. Ezra, you know, doing, uh, some, oh, yeah. some phenomenal playing over at the AFDO, but you know, there were a lot of players that went to the AFDO. You didn't, you chose to go to smug. So how soon did you get there and how much practice did you put in on the course? Yeah. So I mainly just wanted to take a rest from D Cause that was a very strenuous course walking up and down, throwing all those long shots. So I took about four or five days off and headed to Vermont, I believe on Thursday or Friday of the week before Worlds. Um, so it felt like I got a good, I think I got two or three rounds on each course because um, I played mixed doubles as well. So that was two rounds in one day. Um, so yeah, I felt like I knew the courses. I knew exactly where I wanted to land on each hole um, and just had a great game plan going into the tournament starting on, on Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah, Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, Wednesday. Yep. I know. I'm so used to it starting on Tuesday because for up until this year, it's always been a Tuesday through Saturday event. So it even confused mm-hmm. me up until about three days before the event when I was like, oh, man, I got to start Tuesday. And someone was like, nope, Wednesday. And I was like, oh, well, that's great. That's <laughs> awesome. I get to, you know, I have to take a few less days off of work for me. Um, what does your practice routine look like when you go to a course? I mean, you've played you've played these courses before. So is it more of uh, do you take notes? Is it mental? As far as what you think you're going to throw, obviously conditions change. We saw that from day one to day two, for crying out loud. Um, do you just kind of have a general idea? I'm probably going to throw this particular disc on this particular hole, or is everything kind of in flux? Yeah, I I like to pick a specific disc per per hole, and I have a you know I have a backup or an alternate disc that I'll throw if you know it's super windy. When it's rainy, kind of all bets go out the window, and it's just kind of whatever's dry at the moment. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm having you know I'm picking specific discs, and and usually when we practice the the courses, uh, we'll play competitive rounds um, with the guys. So there's you know it's usually one or two shot rounds, and we're just you know we're playing the courses like we would in a tournament. So it gets you know you get a lot of good practice playing competitively. Um, while also learning the course. I, I like to pr- practice that way. 
Yeah. Is there anything on the line for these competitive rounds? Is it more pride or like ice cream or what is it? Like what's the, what's, oh, yeah. what's the yeah, going back? It, it ranges from ice cream to, you know, candy bars to, you know, drinks at the gas station or, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So let's, you, you mentioned it. I mentioned it. Round one, um, we saw just an absolute downpour uh, compared to the other days. And you were one of the players that had to wake up early the next morning to to tee it off. Is that correct? Yes. So I teed, I was the first tee time uh, two days in a row. Yep. Um, so I was able to finish my round the first day. And then mm-hmm. I still had, you know, the early tee time uh, the next day as well. Do you feel like that was an advantage not having to wake up? I mean, you still kind of had to wake up early because you had an early tee time, but you didn't have to get up like two hours earlier. Like some of the guys who didn't finish, do you feel that was an advantage for you, for you um, particularly or. Yeah, I, it was nice. Like, I don't know. I'm a morning person, so I wouldn't have minded too much. Um, yeah, I think it was, it was probably, I don't think it necessarily had a huge impact on, on my rounds. Cause you know, I I played in probably some of the worst rain I've ever played in. So I think I would have <laughs> rather gotten up early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we talked to uh, Chris. Had a choice. Yeah, we talked to Chris Natar about that for the women's round, and mm-hmm. she was saying that there were two or three holes that it was just the most brutal weather she has maybe ever played in, and that's I can understand. Yeah, I, I would I, agree. Yeah, I, I was <laughs> I was sitting here behind the behind the controls for FPO taking care of that and i looked at that and i went that's i felt sorry for my cameramen um because all i'm thinking is you know, equipment and rain and cameras we had cameras dropping like flies because of the wetness and you know lenses steaming up and i thought like oh this is miserable and then i thought at least they're not playing they can kind of just huddle up a little bit maybe they've got a, mm. a, an umbrella guy or girl that's helping them out but the players have to get out in that every single row and just at some at some point as you know it just becomes nothing's dry yeah yeah there was you know towels are no use at that point chalk bags are out the window everything's soaked (laughs) it's just weighing you down at that at at that point so you got to play with the same group first round and second round of of the event because there was no shuffle due to the cut in the in the uh, at the first round the players having to re-tee did i'll ask did you like that was that comfortable for you because you had um and I, I don't even know who your first uh, round was with, particularly as far as players go, but you were in like fourth or fifth place. The other guys clearly mm-hmm. not nearly where you were. Was that, mm-hmm. was that comfortable for you or was it kind of weird shooting with people that maybe weren't anywhere near your score? Yeah, it was weird. Uh, not because they weren't close to me in the score, but because I couldn't see the people uh, that I was, you know, tied with or, you know, a couple strokes behind who were teeing off, you know, who who knows when, really. Um, there were, the cards were all over the place. So it was a lot of watching live scoring. Um, and the card I had was great. I got along great with the guys and we just had a good time. You know, we were like, all right, we're going to do this again. You know, thankfully it's so much better conditions. And uh, I think we all had a, a very enjoyable time playing two days in a row. Not often you get to do that. Yeah, I mean, maybe a little more often for you being up near the top of the cards. Sometimes those don't always shuffle as much, so you might play with the same guys mm-hmm. two, two maybe of the three guys uh, round after round. But yeah. let's talk a little bit about the final round. We'll go. We'll jump to the final round. Obviously, you know, you played a couple at Brewster. You played a couple at Fox Run. Three at Fox Run. Two at Brewster. Um, 
you, you're kind of known for being a woods golfer, not necessarily an open golfer, but you've said, and I've heard you say in interviews, this year you've really tried to uh, push away that stereotype. Like you're not, like you're, you're not a distance thrower and that you're, you're going to carve the woods up. So a lot of people didn't necessarily pick you for, uh, for being able to keep up at Fox Run. And going into mm-hmm. that third round with a lead and then birdieing the first three holes right, right off the bat, do you think that that helped put extra pressure on the other guys on your card to make them press more? Because we saw they were guys that were trying to gun for you on that card, and it ended up not happening. Yeah, I think getting off to a hot start, you know, the holes aren't incredibly long over at Fox. There's a couple of them, but but the start is is pretty short. Um, so getting those first three or four um, was very key to, like, just the momentum, the mental game, because if I had, you know, gone even par through the first three or four, then it's a problem. Uh, then we're talking, you know, I'm battling back as opposed to setting the pace. Um, so it was very, very important for me to get those, those three. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think Evan and I both went four for four, uh, to start the final round. Which at that point I was like, all right, well I'm gonna have to, you know, <laughs> what am I gonna have to do? Because uh, it was just you know head to head, he wasn't wavering, I wasn't, I wasn't going away. So uh, it was, yeah, like you said, it was a close battle for for a while there. Yeah, Evan Scott, who you're right, went for four for four, and then unfortunately ran into the triple bogey on five that he just yep. at that point then it, it really kind of took the wind out of his sails. But it was for a while it was looking like it was going to be the U two running away with it um, until a little further in the round when we start to see some of the chase card really, I mean, they were within, I'll say they were within striking distance. They, they never quite got mm-hmm. to you, oh, yeah. but we saw Eagle and, and AB and Matty O all starting to push towards the middle of that round, especially when we got to hole 12 and two of them eagled it. Yep. Were, were you... At that point in the round, were you aware of the scores? Were you looking at that going, oh, Jesus, seriously, he, he eagled that? Come on, man. Like, give me a little break. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was, you know, I think I've, I I told my dad this, and I was feeling a little comfortable after hole 10. I was like, all right, I think I got four or five strokes on, on the closest one to me. And I was like, all right, I can just kind of coast a little bit. And I was, I got comfortable and... Next thing you know, I got two pars in a row, and they, the people on Chase Card went three down through those two, and just like that, I lost three strokes, and I was like, oh gosh, and so I knew I had to, I had to pick it back up on the, on the back, and that's when the pressure started kind of, kind of hitting a bit, but yeah, I was watching scores the whole time, especially on that back. Oh, I, I was watching the round, and I watched you throw OB on 12, and from, from where I originally thought I was like, Oh, I don't know if he can get up and down from here. And then I realized once we got closer versus where Calvin was and you were, we saw that you clearly could get up and down. But when you threw that OB, I just immediately thought like, Oh God, three stroke swing right here. Considering, you know, <laughs> yeah, versus like, he's not going to Eagle. Like, like do, do you go for Eagle at all on that hole? Or is that, is that a birdie hole for you? That's a birdie. hole. It's hard to turn down an easy birdie hole for me in my mind. Um, you know, I I don't know if I can get close enough for an eagle putt. Maybe like a edge of circle to mm-hmm. look at it, but 
for the most part, I'm just playing it for, for the easy birdie. All right. Yeah, you did seem really kind of calm for most of that final round. Um, and you, you say it's probably around hole 12 is when the nerves started kicking in. How do you, how do you react when, when nerves start kicking? What do you do to calm yourself down, to, to really dial in the focus? Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing that I do is I just I just start talking. Um, you know, thankfully I had my dad on the bag as a caddy, so you know I could just talk to him about whatever. I think we we talked. I can't even remember the conversations we had, but just random stuff, just keeping keeping my mind off of off of uh, you know the stress and the the game at the moment. Um, so yeah, just talking a lot about just random things, uh, talking about what you know shots I'm going to throw and and stuff like that. Um, really just trying to think about anything except the pressure and the people watching and just, you know, kind of enjoy the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. We might've talked about this after your champions cup win. Do you feel like this, the speed of your play helps negate some of the nerves that you have because you're, you're on the, you're on the tee, you throw pretty quick, but when you're on the green, you're the fastest player probably on, yeah, probably on tour, you're the fastest player. You're up, and it's in, and that's it. Do you feel that like that helps you kind of just not think about what's going on? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think uh, just if I sit and look at the basket too long, I it gets it gets ugly. I start <laughs> thinking about, oh, where should I, you know, what specific change should I aim at? What's the wind doing? What, you know, what all these thoughts going through my head. And uh, I'd rather just look at the basket real quick and just hit the putt and get it out of there. I actually, because I don't have Terry here to kind of fill in some of the questions, I actually did a little bit of research before the uh, before the interview here. And can we blame your dad for your European Open loss? I mean, you've got Champions <laughs> Cup with him on the bag. You shot mm-hmm. a 1060 average there. You've got Worlds mm-hmm. where you averaged 1057 with him on the bag. European Open, you mm-hmm. averaged 1036. Still above your rating, but no dad. I mean... Yo. Do you think about flying them out next year, maybe? <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to have to. I'm going to set aside some uh, you know, some of the prize money I won this year. I'm going to just fly him out, and he's just going to carry, and we're going to take that one down. <laughs> nice. And I can assume we're going to see him at USCGC. That's a lot close. Is that a lot closer to home for him? You get Georgia, is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's about two hours away, so he will definitely be there. And yep. is he for sure going to be on your bag, or is Ezra maybe thinking he'd like a 20-point <laughs> ratings bump? <laughs> the, I think I think Ezra puts his wife she has priority okay. um, so I don't think dad's gonna get the bag for Ez <laughs> I mean 20 points that's a, that's a good I don't know maybe, I'm I mean sure. she, he might have to have a conversation with her and see like look honey I really need this <laughs> <laughs> big, big bro's showing me up here I can't uh, I, I can't yep. let that happen <laughs> I felt I was telling somebody on the phone this today um very similar feelings to watching you tap in that I had the last time we were at Smugs, and I got to watch at the time it was Paige Bjorkus, now Paige Shu tap in, and she was there with her. Like the very first people that were up there were her mom and dad, like giving her the biggest hug. Mm-hmm. The very first person after you tapped in was your brother, and there's some phenomenal photos, some of the better photos I've seen all year of like him just picking, literally picking you up. And and hugging yeah. you was that? What kind of moment was that for you? Oh man, it was just something that I'm never gonna forget. You know, I 
I tapped in that putt and I just turned around and, you know, I don't know if there's security at all at Worlds or, you know, people not supposed to be going on the green, but Ezra was full on sprinting. He got there so fast and nobody was stopping him. And <laughs> he's a big guy. Ain't nobody most, getting in his way if, yeah. he's, if he's going full <laughs> no, of steam. No, <laughs> no, he's sprinted right over and it was just such a cool feeling. I would stand there, you know, thousands of people watching, but just enjoy that moment with him. Um, Cause this is something, you know, we've talked about since we've been growing up and watching the sport, uh, watching world championships since, you know, 2014. Uh, so it was just such a special moment. I'm so glad he could be there for it. I know my only surprise was that it wasn't dad first. And I know you got your moments <laughs> with him down the fairway and up on the tee of uh, 18, but uh, that was my only shock was that Ezra somehow beat dad. <laughs> but yep, yep. <laughs> uh, speaking of 18, we'll step back just for a second. You went into 18 with a couple strokes. Um, I had always said that you need to go into, if you, if you want to feel comfortable going into 18, you need to have three. Like two just mm-hmm. isn't quite enough because you can go, you could go OB left. And then maybe we saw a few of the guys like Eagle and AB. No, no, I don't think it was AB. I think it was Eagle and someone else who threw a forehand, landed on the tee, and then got up and rolled down the hill OB. So there is yep. potential for double OB there. Um, so I always feel mm-hmm. three strokes is is kind of the comfort zone. Did you have an idea going into 18 where you felt comfortable? And did you have a game plan? Because a lot of people say, just throw it deep and long. Just go OB left. Mm-hmm. Don't even think about it. What was what was your you, – you took a different route. Yeah, going uh... – you know, 17 was kind of a bonus birdie. So I had those three strokes going into 18 and I, I changed up discs, um, before I was throwing a D one and I took it to an X one on that last round because I knew, you know, I wasn't going to go be right with something that stable. And I knew it was going to get to the ground. It has zero glide. So I was just going to land right in the middle of the fairway. And then if I had to just jump up my way up <laughs> to the fairway, uh, to, to the basket. And, uh, you know, I kept asking my dad, I was like, all right, so I can get, I can get a double bogey. Right. And he was like, yep, double bogey. And I was like, perfect. So that was kind of the goal. Just keep it in the fairway, keep it in the middle and not throw OB. Because if I throw OB, then I'm, you know, I'm sweating, I'm stressed and who knows what happens at that point. So <laughs> just keep it in the middle all the way down. Does it, I mean, you're clearly, everybody knows 18 plays best with a nice backhand and then an easy forehand. Not exactly your forte. Do you feel like you walk up to that hole and go, God, I wish I'd put a few more hours into that forehand. And, and are we going to see you with, are we going to see you with a forehand? You have the, you know, probably. And right now the numbers don't lie. The best backhand turnover on tour. Everyone used to say it was James Conrad. He had his, you know, his putter shots, but I don't think numbers lie. This (laughs) this last few years and it feels like it's you, but are you, are you looking at maybe learning a forehand at all? Yeah, I would say I have a good scramble forehand at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, I can get up and down through some trees from, you know, two fifty. That's about the limit. Um, so it's like right where I, I need it. Um, but I definitely want to get that kind of bigger distance to where it's 300, 350 and I'm throwing it confidently. Um, there's something about standing on the tee pad, lining up beforehand that just gets in my head. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I can, I can throw it just fine from the middle of the woods off the fairway, but something on the tee pad just messes with me. So I'm going to be working on that a good bit. 
that's got yeah, plenty of off season for that. Definitely. Um, looking at the pro tour standings after this, uh, Vinny has you by like 130 points. He's almost untouchable no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. You've got yeah. Gannon by only six or seven points. But you're second in tour standings. Do you feel like you're right now, and this is a tough question to, a- to answer, but do you feel like you're the best player in the world right now? You just won the world championship. <laughs> do you feel like you're the best player in the world? I'm going to say, I have to say no to that. I, I think. Calvin is just head and shoulders above everybody else. The season he's had, the podiums, the consistent just top 10 finishes every single week is just unparalleled. Um, I like to think me and Gannon are competitive on my good weeks, but I think he's still got a little bit on me. Um, but, you know, I put myself in that, you know, that three to five range. Yeah. Comfortable there. All right. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, are, are the other guys a little upset that you're getting all of the uh, all of the fame? Because I mean, they they all almost all of them beat you in that final round. You only shot a ten. We saw I think Gannon yep. with a twelve, Alden <laughs> yeah. with a thirteen. I mean, you co- you yep. coasted in. I mean, should you be getting all of the uh, attention for this? <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know Gannon's very upset about uh, all the attention and and all that stuff, but it's. Uh, <laughs> Just you know, that's that's what happens. You win a big tournament, you get the attention. So yeah. he'll be, everybody will be right back in it. Yeah, yeah. A couple okay, weeks definitely. From now. Speaking of Gannon, he needs to uh, answer my Instagram. I honestly wanted to have him. <laughs> I was going to try to surprise you and have him as my co-host tonight, and have him just sit oh, like like sick. the Terry position and interview you. But he, <laughs> I, I tried to slide into his uh, Instagram DMs and he didn't answer me. So I think I think he's got to look at that and say, and say yes, it's okay. I'm not some weird. <laughs> I am some weird creeper, but not that. Not that way. So, um, at Smugs, obviously, there's a lot of different courses, different styles. Was there something particularly a particular like uh, a disc that you relied on more than anything? I mean, we're we're going to kind of work into our conversation about post worlds plans, but at worlds, was there a particular uh, set of plastic or discs that you really threw more than anything else? Yeah, I think. Um the 750 M1 that I'm throwing is just my, my go-to mid in my bag right now. Um, it's just a disc that I know like every little bit of its flight. You know, I know exactly what it's going to do with the wind, the angle, the speed, just everything. I just, I just, I know backwards and forwards. Um, so that was when I relied on, on Brewster a lot. And then my lightweight 400 SD one out on Fox was, was my go-to driver out there. When you say lightweight, what are you talking? 168, 170? Like yeah, one's, I think it's 167. Okay. Yeah, so a little bit lighter than, than what usually okay. uh, people throw. And I guess that leads into the next question about post-Worlds plans. I believe I saw a post from uh, someone at Prodigy. I don't know if it was on Reddit or on Twitter or something, but more or less saying they've got some plans for you and some plastic coming out, mm-hmm. some discs. If you had your way, and I don't know what's coming out, you can tell us if you know, but... What would your ideal disc be from Prodigy? Like, what would what would you like? Like plastic type mold uh, and weight. Like, what if you could have? Like, oh, this is awesome! I want to sell these. Yeah, I think, man, I think one of my favorites right now um, would be the four hundred Glimmer FX four. So it's an FX four that's a little bit more beefy than just the normal stock runs. 
And I got it while over in Europe, actually. And it went straight in my bag. Um, and it's just a little bit more overstable than the other FX4s. And the Glimmer just looks sick. You know, it's got those, like, metal flakes in it. Um, so that would be kind of my go-to, go-to choice for, for commemorative disc. Okay. Um, it, I, I might be wrong here, and there's a really good chance I am. Did I see a commercial with you touting a special disc, a, a new, a new disc? What? T- tell us a little yeah, bit about. Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm not. I was like, I think it was Isaac, but it might have been Alden, and I couldn't remember for sure. Um, because <laughs> when I'm not, when I'm doing the broadcast stuff, I'm really not paying attention to commercials, so it kind of just pops up, and I, oh, I yeah. catch it out of the corner of my eye. But tell me a little bit more about the disc that uh, that is coming out. Or is out, maybe. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it already came out, actually. Um, and it's called The Archive. And so it's my my signature mid, my collab series with Prodigy. Um, and it's an, a slightly overstable mid-range with a lot of glide. It, it is working its way to replace my M1s. Um, you know, my M1s are beat uh, just so perfectly. I've done them for years. And The Archive right out of the box flies like the mids I want. You know, it's slightly overstable, has a ton of glide, and it really just holds the line that you put it on. So I've been doing a lot of field work at that, and uh, super excited. People seem to be loving it, so uh, you know, I'm super happy about that as well. Uh, someone on the board, uh, Dustin, actually asks, are we going to see more Isaac discs like the Archive? It, it, because it seems like Prodigy has kind of their naming convention, but then we've seen mm-hmm. some other tour series like um, uh, Kale, obviously, with his you know, uh, with the Falcor and then we've seen Kevin Jones with his sound based ones. Are we going to do you, first of all, do you have a theme? Second of all, do you, uh, do you have, uh, are there going to be more of them? Yeah, I, I would love to, you know, I've, I haven't really talked about plans for, you know, other discs coming out, but I'm sure that we will have that conversation sometime in the future. And I would say like the theme I have right now, I love books and I love reading. So the archive was kind of like this, uh, and you can kind of see it in the stamp, but like this, you know, book themed, you know, just like knowledge based kind of uh, design. So that's, I'd probably stick with something like that in the naming system and, and just kind of keep the theme going. But yeah, we'll see. I, we'll see what's coming down the road. I love that. I really do. I truly think that's awesome. I can't wait for the Dewey Decimal to come out. <laughs> the Isaac Robinson yes. Dewey Decimal. It's going to be phenomenal. Yes. Um, you'll be able to find it everywhere. Um, you, you're talking, we're talking about disc. We're talking about Prodigy. Am I right? Uh, your contract with Prodigy through 2024 or through 2023? Yes. Here? So another full, another full year. Okay. That's what I had thought. I wanted mm-hmm. to make sure um, that that was because I thought I'd heard somebody else with some conflicting but I believe last time we talked to you on, on Smashbox here that you had said that you, you did a two-year agreement. So that's I'm, – I'm, I'm, ex, I'm, ex, I'm really, really excited. Um, I don't have – so you're – actually, I was going to say I don't have a lot more for you, but uh, you're in PEI this weekend. You went up to yep. uh, Prince Edward Island. Tell us a little bit about why you decided to go up there because a lot of players are already kind of – they're all with – not all of them, but a bunch of them are withdrawing. It's the week after Worlds. Mm-hmm. I looked at your tour standings. Like I said, you're six points ahead of Gannon. You need to finish ninth or better to even pick up points, which I think the odds are pretty good that you're going to at least do that. Um, what What's driving you to go to uh, the PEI? Yeah, I mainly Prince Edward Island was just something I really wanted to see. Um, it's you know it's a place I haven't been. It's another place out of the country, so I can check that off the list. And then also 
it just seemed like a really cool place. You know, I've, I've kind of done some research and some, uh, you know, I don't know if you know, but like the, the book series, End of Green Gables, written on Prince Edward Island or written about it and grew up reading those books. So I kind of just wanted to see what it looked like in person. Um, and then also, you know, the Silver Series here, um, you know, it's just another tournament. I didn't have anything to do this week, so I figured <laughs> I might as well just, just keep keep grinding, keep playing, um, and hopefully score a little bit more points to have some cushion at MVP uh, when we, me and Gannon face off. How great is it going to be, and how much are you going to rub it in Gannon's face if you beat him <laughs> because of the Prince Edward Island um match because as you said six points isn't much but you could pick up another 20 or so here depending on how you finish Mm -hmm. and then it's going to come down to maple hill where it's a playoff event and i believe uh, is 150 points to the winner and or 1.5 or something or 1.25 i forget there's so many different Mm -hmm. ways the points go um but (laughs) uh do you guys have an overall bet on the season you said competitively you do that or do you have an overall one yeah, so I think just the bet going on right now is is we both, you know, if the All-Star event is happening again next year, you know, the top two get to be captains. And Calvin's already solidified. And Gannon and I are, are head-to-head. We want that cap- captain spot. And it's all, you know, it's it's quite the battle. Because not only do you get to pick the All-Star team, but you kind of get that recognition. You get that, uh, you know that little time in the spotlight. And so we both, we both want it very badly and we're both going to be just playing our hearts out (laughs) at MVP. (laughs) Wow. So assuming Kelvin has one of the all-star spots and let's just say you get the second one, who's your pick? Mm. I mean, you, you you have, assume you have everybody available to you. Let's just play pretend that Kelvin doesn't get the first pick and you have everyone available to you. I mean, I guess it depends on where the, what the course is maybe. I mean, you've got, a lot of great players to choose from. Who do you pick? How do you pick? Yeah. Yeah. I would, I don't even know. There's so many good names in that list. I, I think AB would have to be vying for number one spot. He is just on a different level, uh, distance putting. I mean, he's been on fire this year. Um, so he would definitely be, he would be my first pick. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And traditionally it is in Arizona. He's a hometown guy or home state guy. Yep. We'll say, and, he tends to play relatively well there, so I guess that's that does uh, that does make a lot of sense. Well, I guess the floor is yours, Isaac. I don't want to keep you too long. I know this is a shorter interview than we normally do here on Smashbox, but why don't you give your uh, your shout outs and your thanks? I see Alden Harris is on the board right now. Probably. Um, oh no. Yeah, I, I know he's. Uh, they're coming up. Some of them are coming up with ideas for some of your other discs and and whatnot, and some really good ideas out there. Um, I'll let, uh, I, I won't, I won't spoil it for you, but, uh, give us, give us your thanks and everything and, and, and talk about, actually, before we do that, talk about how, how you feel like worlds is going to change you, not necessarily change you, but change your, your, your career even. Cause it's, it's a huge title mm-hmm. to have and a lot, it, it changed, yeah. I mean, clearly it changed Paul McBeth's life. It's changed almost everybody who's won the title. It's changed their life in some way. Like, how do you feel like it's going to change yours? Yeah, I think it's just so much of a, of a big win that it's it's I don't even know quite how it's going to change yet. But you know, I'm looking for, for you know different sponsorship opportunities, you know, secondary sponsors, stuff like that, and and a world's title looks great on a resume. So <laughs> um, 
you know, kind of keeping my, keeping my eyes open for options like that. Um, and then also just, I don't know, just kind of soaking it in and just, you know, the first thing I did was up, update the, the Instagram bio to two time major champion, one time world champion. And that was just so fun. Um, so it's just kind of, you know, I'm keeping my eyes open for opportunities and, uh, just kind of looking at what's ahead of me. Um, cause like you said, it, it opens a, a bit of a bigger door, um, to opportunities and sponsorships and, and stuff in the future. So looking forward to that. And you're still, obviously, I, I think this is kind of a silly question, but you're still focused on the U S title. You still want the USDGC. You finished, I think, I think in the top 10, maybe the last two years, uh, yep. I remember if it was just outside that two years ago, but, um, I always feel that the USDGC is very, <laughs> very forehand friendly. You know, it, a lot of people have called it the forehand Olympics. It's a lefty friendly course. And, and as we stated, not your comfort zone off the tee, but you always mm-hmm. seem to finish well. What, what are you going to do this year other than probably practice to, to, to try to get that title and go three out of four, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to go in. I've heard they changed the course a lot. Um, that's the rumor going around, at least. So I'm going to figure out these new holes because I feel like, you know, I had the old holes pretty dialed in. <laughs> um, so, you know, go figure out what, what they did and what they changed. Um, and then also just kind of go in with not a not an overconfident mindset, but just a, a confident one uh, that I've been here. You know, I've been in the same, you know, I've won two majors now. and going into the third it's you know there's a confidence but not a cockiness you know it's um no one would blame of, you if it were a little cockiness not gonna lie <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I, th- I think overall it would you know the cockiness would, would hurt the performance but i think just you know just relax and just know what uh know what i'm capable of and, and bring it bring my all to try to take down that going three out of four would be insane so i'm trying hard <laughs> I was very, and I think you maybe were even in there. I was very fortunate to be able to live through some of the Paul Macbeth era where he was just mm-hmm. unstoppable. The 2015 season is is still burnt burnt into my brain. Just crazy. And to have someone yeah, come insane. that close. I mean, you couldn't get dad's, it was dad's fault. We'll blame him. You couldn't get European nope, open. But, his fault. <laughs> but ultimately, you know, to get three out of four, that's a lot. I mean, that's a lock for every award at the end of the season. That's a lock for PDGA mm-hmm. Player of the Year. That's a lock for every single um, uh, award that any podcast or any media company is going to hand out. So that's going to be you're going to yeah. have a, a lot of a lot of nice little trophies to put on a mantle someday when you uh, when you eventually have a house. So I think we talked to you last time about you were kind of looking at mm-hmm. at, at places and this thirty thousand dollar paycheck is a really nice paycheck. That's a nice down payment on something is uh yes is that what you're are you still looking did you find anything yeah you know i'm still still looking there's the housing market's a mess right now Mm -hmm. it's everywhere but uh just kind of looking yeah looking around in georgia and you know closer closer to my family and uh haven't really nailed anything down yet but uh yeah looking at housing you know (laughs) realtor sites like every day basically wow (laughs) i really want to get get a place to settle down there's literally two houses across the street from me. I've got a basket in my backyard. We can just throw back and forth. It would be okay. Right, yeah, it's in back. it's in Wisconsin, so winters are a little bit tougher than Georgia. But um, I, 
Yeah, see, what, I'm not it, used to the snow like that. Yeah, if you move across the street, I'll I'll snow blow and shovel your uh, your driveway for you. All right, that sounds uh, like a deal. But uh, but yeah, that's uh, you're right. The housing market is nuts because the, the houses across the street they're not worth nearly what I feel like they're asking for them. So it is kind of crazy. I think if maybe you just wait, maybe another six months, maybe next spring, things will start to settle down based on how yeah, things are going. That's so what I'm thinking. Um, that's what I'm thinking. Well, that's that's awesome, Isaac. And uh, first of all, I want to thank you for coming on the show tonight. It it means means a lot. After I'm sure you are swamped with media and and everything. Is there has there been any strange or I want us to call them strange, but media requests that you didn't expect, like oh my local paper or something like that? Have you have you gotten any of those? <laughs> Not that I know of. I haven't quite finished going through all the messages yet. I'm working on it. I'm almost caught up, but. I'm sure there's some weird, not some weird ones, but you know, something like that hidden down, down deep in those, those DMS. <laughs> okay. Nice. Nice. So I'll, I'll give you the floor to thank all your sponsors, to thank whomever you'd like to, to thank before we let you go for the night. And, uh, uh, the floor is yours. Sweet. Yeah. Obviously I just want to thank prodigy discs. They've been so great to work with this year. Just work, you know, coming out with my new mid, uh, the support is unparalleled. I want to thank 1010 Discs as well. Working with them has been a blast. Uh, they got some some sick jerseys and some discs coming out, so keep an eye out for those. Um, you know, Double G Craft Jerky, the snacks on the course, Clutch, always keeping me you know, <laughs> not hungry. Um, and then also, just want to thank my dad and thank my family uh, and all the all the fans back in Georgia um, and, and you know across the nation as well. But uh, you know, my dad, I don't think I could have done it without him, uh, especially that final round, you know, even the last, you know, the last two or three rounds. Uh, so huge help out there. Wouldn't have anybody else on the bag. Um, so yeah. Thank you guys. Great. If you, and remember if everyone or anyone wants to go out, I'll say everyone, everyone go out and support Isaac. Um, go get the, one of those archives. It's first of all, it's a great name for a disc. Second of all, it supports world champion be on the lookout for more prodigy stuff coming out for world champion isaac robinson and two-time major champion isaac robinson uh i I will say this and i'll maybe i'll elaborate after you're off the air but i truly think i look at a lot of people in that top five um that i was rooting for and i truly believe you are i'd say one or two of the best representatives to be a world champ i looked at and that's kind of how i look at it because I feel like Paul Macbeth has been a phenomenal world champion. He's pushed the sport of disc golf further than anybody. And I was looking at other people who I think could really continue to spread um, the love of disc golf and knowing and watching. I'm, I'm an avid, I'm guilty. I'm an avid watcher of all the, all the, the YouTube videos and just <laughs> what you guys are all doing. It just puts a smile on my face. Cause it kind of brings me back to a little bit like when Terry and I were on the road doing, we weren't, doing the full tour, but we did a lot of travel together and, and I'm glad there, I, on one hand, I'm glad there weren't cameras and, and video cameras everywhere. But on the other hand, it does, I do kind of miss it. So I think that of all the people that are up there, I think you're going to be one of the, one of the really, really good world champions. And I want to say thanks again for coming on the show tonight. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Of course, thank you for having me. Anytime. Always. Always. All right. Well, we'll we'll book you for about another month. In a month, we'll get you, or maybe, better yet, maybe we'll get your dad. Maybe that would be the, maybe that'll be a better oh, grab. Oh, please. I, Yeah. <laughs> That would be, I would love to hear his thoughts. <laughs> I guess my next question, or what last question, USDGC round mm-hmm. uh, five. If Ezra, I, I guess, no, no, because Ezra's got his wife. If Ezra's beating you, it means his wife has been on the bag the whole time and she's going to stay there. Yeah. Your dad, would, yeah. would it be, would you love that getting to play that with your brother, that final round? Is, is like with him? Oh, yeah. Is that kind of something? I didn't know if it maybe, maybe there'd be... be some weirdness or like competitiveness that you guys couldn't shake. But no, I think we've played enough tournaments, you know, together on league cards, just growing up, you know, C tiers and B tiers and stuff. I don't think it would be too weird. And it would be, you know, if one of us ended up taking it down, it would just be another magical moment on the green. <laughs> so win win either way. All right. That's great. That's great. All right, everybody. Once again, your two time major champion, your one time world champion, and maybe coming up one time U.S. champion. Isaac Robinson. Thanks a lot. Much appreciated. We will uh, have, have yourself a good night and good luck this weekend at PEI. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. That was Isaac Robinson. What a, what again, what a great ambassador part of it. I, I know I kind of gushed just a little bit, but I, I truly had this conversation with a friend of mine tonight. Um, he was telling me about his victory this past weekend uh, up at, one of my most favorite places in the world, which is Sandy Point. And he won the MP40 division. And so we were chatting about, well, I asked him whether he got a chance to watch it and and watch the world championships. And he said that they got to watch a lot of FPO, but their tea times were in the afternoon. And we were talking about world champions and kind of the players that were in contention that we'd really like to see win. And I, I really did say that. I think Isaac Robinson, of those players that were fighting, might be one of the best to win it based on um, what they can do with that world championship. Because I think it's a great honor to be a world champion. It means you've put in a ton of effort and a ton of work. But I think once you become that world champion, there is extra, I don't say baggage, but there's something I feel that should go along with that, where you now become a a much bigger representative of the sport. You have to go and do these media things. You're always known as a world champion. And I feel like there are some players that maybe... Like, I don't know how, as much as I love Calvin and I really hope he wins, uh, I hope he gets his major win just to get the monkey off of his back, whether that's Worlds or whatever. I feel like there are some players that maybe if they win, they're maybe not as socially minded or motivated as others. Like Calvin, I think, would do the whole, he would do all the podcasts and he would do whatnot. And and, and I think he'd, he'd be a good world champion. But I, I always want to see that player who puts in maybe a little extra effort, like Paul, did, like Paul did. I think, and 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 again, 
maybe a little bit of gushing about Paul, about what he's been able to do with his world championships. I want to see our world champion really push and promote the sport. And I don't know how much that's in Kelvin, because I don't think he necessarily wants to do that. Whether he would or not, I don't know. But he's we all know Kelvin isn't the first to jump on social media. He's getting better. He's doing a lot of the other videos. He's joining, I think, uh, I see him on some practice rounds with Brody more and more. We've always seen him on the skins, and he's got a great sense of humor. But I want to, again, I want to see our world champion really push the sport more and more. So, uh, Citizen says, I want to see Maddie win so bad. Um, yeah, I think everybody does. It was, it was really fun to see Maddie make a run at it again and again and again and again. And that guy just can't seem to, he is the most consistent, like 1040 to 1045 rated player. And unfortunately, he can't seem to get over that hump. Like you, like, uh, like I said, I, uh, Isaac averaged 1057 here. You, you have you have to be hitting the 1060s, I think, to win a to win a major. It just you have to. There's if you're not averaging 1060, you're not winning. So Matteo just doesn't seem to be able to hit that that one extra gear for long enough. He's got it for a round or two, but he just can't quite push through. So um, it's. Yeah, it's been 18 years, and he's been battling. 18 years. I mean, Matteo's been poting him at Worlds longer than most of you have probably been playing, longer than my kids have been alive. Just maybe he needs to to pull back out that A-Rod jersey. Maybe that's his secret for a final round success. Get out the the old A-Rod jersey and, uh, and have a nice flashback. All right, let's talk a little bit about the rest of the people here on UDISC. We'll go through some of the other places. Obviously, as we said, Anthony, like Isaac had mentioned, Anthony Barella is playing like a man on fire. Just shooting a 12 under par the final round to, to really propel himself. Um, he moved. He was on the chase card, but he was still tied for third going into that final round. Shooting a 12 Birdieing the last four holes, it was it was fun to watch. Not gonna lie, I I, re- I tuned in uh, just I think hole seven, seven or eight or something is when I tuned in to the final round. I was busy doing some other other important stuff, blah blah blah. Um, and so I got to watch and sit down as as they started really kind of turning it on. And then I saw I saw I saw AB take a bogey, and I was like, oh well, that's it for him. But no, he came back and he followed up with a birdie, and then he got the eagle and. It was just, what a pleasure to watch. That kid is special, hands down. He's a special talent, and I truly believe it's not long before he wins, um, not just an Elite Series event. I think he is going to be a major winner in the next two years. It just, he plays so well. He throws so far. He just needs a little bit of control on his putts yet because his putts, his putting game is just a little bit weak at times. Um, Eagle McMahon is was a huge story. He started out horribly. Horribly. I think he was in, after the first round, he was like 170th place or something. And it's hard because there's pools and A cuts and B cuts. He never dipped down into the B pool. But he finished up that tournament with a 14 and a 13. So a course record 14 followed up by a 13. Fox run is made for Eagle McMahon. Because like it or not, Distance helps you because it gives that next shot 
just that much. It makes it that much easier for an approach. And the only place where it really hurt him <laughs> was hole 16. When he threw it too far and into the OB. And I know I saw some people complain about the OB long on that hole. I don't know why it's there on 16. Um, clearly, they want you to have a placement shot in the fairway in a particular spot. Because you go too far right, OB. You go too far left, OB. Too far, OB. You need to be in about, what is it, probably a 25 by 50 foot spot in order to get the birdie. Maybe 70. Maybe you can do it in 70 feet. I guess it depends how, how far up and back. Because Eagle was right up on that uh, OB line. He was able to throw a big spike hyzer and drop it in you know, for, uh, to get, uh, to get the par on 16, even after going OB. So Eagle's another player where, you know, he's already got his major, he's got his elite series wins. He's just looking for that world championship. Now I'm, I'm sure he wants other majors. Um, I'm sure he wants to get the champions company wants to get USDGC. We all know worlds is where the most pressure is. And I think you put one more round possibly out on Fox run and Eagle might take this. I don't know. I mean, obviously, Isaac was playing phenomenally, and he he did bogey the last hole, Isaac did, but that was because he laid up, let's be honest. He he very well could have birdied it or easily parred it to walk away, but Eagle McMahon was just a man on fire as well. Uh, again, tied for third place, Matty O, just Mr. Consistency over the last 18 years. Calvin Heinberg drops two places um, to take fifth. Uh, nothing to shake a stick at, no, nothing to be ashamed of. I know he's getting a reputation for not being able to show up at the majors, but honestly, his major finishes are fine. He's just not getting the win. He, he still shot a 10 under par, a 10 under par. He would have had to shoot a 16 in order to tie Isaac, which it's not realistic. You can't expect anyone to shoot a 16. Um, I mean, you, you could ask Vinny why he didn't shoot better some of the other rounds, but I don't know. It's just uh, nothing but love for Vinny in fifth place. Uh, three-way tie for sixth place. Uh, the uh, darn near brothers, Gannon Byrne, Alden Harris, those guys tied at 41 under. Gannon shoots a 12 under. Alden shoots an 11 under. There were some scorching rounds out on Fox. I know there's been some talk about whether Fox run is too easy. Because we're seeing these double-digit rounds from a lot of players, as opposed to Brewster, where we saw we did see a double-digit round, a few of them, I think, but a lot of guys were more in the five to eight range. So is Fox Run too easy? I don't know. That's uh, that's not my call. Birdies are fun. We like to see people throw birdies and eagles, but you know, there's there's not a lot of I don't say shot shaping challenge on. Fox run. It's it's more of a distance. You, you got Brewster. Hmm. I don't know. I'll let you guys decide. I don't really have a take on it. But tied for sixth place with those two guys was Kyle Klein, uh, another one of the young phenoms. He shot a nine under. I'm not quite hitting those double digits, but and he dropped three spots from third down to sixth that final round. In ninth place, Chris Dickerson, who, again, was on an absolute heater earlier in uh, the week and just I mean, some uncharacteristic putting, I think, on a few spots is what I saw for Chris Dickerson. Um, 
not sure what to say, but ends up finishing ninth place. A, a good, respectable finish at Worlds. Worlds is the top, toughest place to finish, and and Dickerson, who hasn't necessarily had the best season, still shot pretty well. And tenth place, James Proctor. James, who again, who has had a, a pretty good season. A lot of people were picking him to podium this week because I think that the style of course is really maybe suits him. But unfortunately, just. You know, he shoots a 13 this final round to jump up seven places into 10th place, but just some earlier rounds really caused his, uh, I think it was, was it the fourth round? I think it was the fourth round where he, he just didn't shoot well. So there's your top 10 for MPO. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about FPO coming up, which is honestly, it's a much shorter conversation, I think. Um, Oh, real quick, we'll talk a little bit more about MPO before we go to FPO. I'll just read off the board. Uh, Citizen says, Greg won at 41 under in 2018, and the courses were supposedly harder, and eight players were under negative 40 this. Um, yeah, I mean, that was pre-pandemic. Remember way back then? That was a long time ago. And... I don't remember. I would have to go back and look at the course. It was was it the same setup? Was it was it two at Brewster, three at Fox? I don't recall offhand the the courses um, that we played for that particular Worlds. But but yeah, Greg Greg shot a great round, and the competition is better. We've got more players who are throwing further. I remember that particular. Uh, Worlds, obviously doing doing the directing and some of the phenomenal shots that Greg was throwing, the putts that were just arching into the basket as the way only Greg can do, and how it really felt like for him, Brewster. He like he was made for Brewster. That was those were his that was his course that he could just do no wrong there. It just his disc had eyes, and he was just putting. It didn't matter where his putt was going because he was dropping it in. So, yeah. And Kevin says, and people are putting further. I agree with that too. Um, we, we've got more good putters now than we did back then. Um, I mean, just think of the players that were on the lead card that tailed off. I mean, we had Grady Shoe winning after round two. You know, he got to, he got on the lead card and he laid an egg. But then comes back. He took, was it top 20? Was he, I'm going to go back and look. I think he was in like, did he finish in 19th or 17th? Grady, 17th place Grady Shoe finished. What Shooting a 10 down on Fox. So really it was, you know, he, he just, he, you know, the pressure. That's tough. And he handled it like a champ. You know, Grady Shoe is, is, a, is a stellar human being and just awesome. Um, it'd be hard not to talk about Paul McBeth. Missing out on his streak. Ten full years, a solid decade of Paul being in the top two. And he drops down to 13th. He dropped three spots that final round, only shooting a six under, which, as we as we can tell, because everybody in front of him shot better. Every single person shot better than Paul McBeth ahead of him. You know, I, I not that Paul was, you know, destined to win or even could, sorry, could win on that final round. Paul was out of it after his fourth round. And 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 I think everybody kind of knew it, which 
is is crazy to think about a decade of Paul Macbeth. I've got I've fortunate that I've got to witness him literally from Am Worlds when he was here in uh, 2008, going up against Greg Schwartz, not winning that either, taking second place, seeing him and knowing that he was a special player. At the time, I didn't know how special he was, but you could just tell he was he was a phenomenal player. And then to see his progression over the last decade, and and I, I'm not writing any obituaries for Paul McBath because I know he's he is a little bit dinged up right now, but that's no excuse. You're out there on the course. If you're on the course, you got to play. I mean, you, I think you could see it in his putts. His putting didn't look the same as how he used to putt. It, it looked a little bit more robotic maybe his arm swing just felt it just looked and felt a little different maybe i'm just imagining that i don't know but and he's got a kid on the way and i think this is his last event of the year he said he won't be playing uscgc he won't be playing the pro tour finale i think he's just going to heal up have a baby not him personally but hannah will shout outs to hannah having a baby is tougher than (laughs) winning any disc golf event so shout out to Hannah. Um, but just spend some time with the family for a few months. Probably play some leagues, heal up, putt in his backyard, enjoy Florida for a couple months, Take a maybe play a couple in the off season, maybe play a couple events local to Florida. But ultimately, Paul McBeth ending his decade-long streak of taking top two, um, dropping down to 13th. It's, yeah. Uh, the only the other person that we saw who was in first uh, first place who ended up kind of falling off was Cole Radalin, and he ended up in twenty second. Cole just again he got onto the top of the card and just you you, you could see it. It just he kind of he kind of crumbled. Not gonna lie, um, I think he's got a lot to learn. These are pressure packed rounds, and you need to be able to really really focus and handle yourself. And I don't think he was able to do that. He, you saw some of the uh, the poor execution that he doesn't normally throw like that. And again, Cole's another guy where um, I'm not as confident that he's going to absolutely win a major, but I think he has the he definitely has the skills. Just whether or not he can really focus and put them together, he he seems like he's a shoe in at some point, but I, I don't know. We can always hope. I'm going to give a look out on the board here. We're going to, once I find where my mouse is, there it is. It's hiding on me. Um, uh, Dustin says about Paul, apparently the shoulder is more about the lifting up of the shoulder in the putting motion. Not an issue as it's not the same shoulder lifting motion. Okay. So yeah, it's just the way he, the way he's putting and, and bringing his arm. It just, it didn't look like Paul. That's what I'll say. So, Let's move over to the FPO division. And this was over after the first round. It was more over after the second round. And I know Missy Gannon came back. But Kristen Tatar, mentally and physically, had this under control virtually the entire tournament. Um, She talked about, I believe it was the Third, after the third round that she had some bad breaks and then the fourth round uh, Missy had a few good kicks and rolls which is going to happen on these courses I, I'm not you know <laughs> uh, 
I would in no way am I saying that that's why Missy took second place as opposed to third or fourth because Missy shot phenomenal golf. You know, she averaged or going into that final round, I think she was averaging nine ninety seven golf or something, or just right around a thousand, basically, which would have won her any other worlds other than last year and clearly this year. But Kristen Tatar coming out with the first two rounds, averaging like ten thirty. How ridiculous is that? Averaging ten thirty golf. Um, and I really feel like Missy truly lost this at the end of the fourth round, that whole 18. She was, she had such momentum going into that. And if she could have gone into the fifth and final round, only down a stroke as opposed to down, what was it? Four stroke, five strokes. I think it was five strokes. That's really where she lost it. It's unfortunate. Um, because you could imagine a scenario, and again, it takes a little imagination, because it's probably not likely, of Kristen Tatar, the final round, with only one stroke advantage, getting a little shaky. We saw it at the European Open. Obviously, she had, you know, there was a lot. It was a different scenario with the European, or not the European Open, I'm sorry, but the European Championships. Different, Slightly different scenario here and there, but... There is a scenario that runs in my head that Missy, you know, shows up to the final round only down a stroke, doesn't have to press maybe quite as hard, and comes out and starts maybe putting a little bit of pressure on KT. And Tatar isn't the type of player. She's mentally strong. She's a great champion. She's mentally strong. So it's a little bit of a stretch to think that maybe she could have let that get to her. But going in with four or five strokes, five strokes, yeah, it's, it was officially five, that's right. Going in with five strokes, just it wasn't there. And then Missy bogeying the first hole off the bat, just Tatar could kind of mentally put it into cruise control. She didn't really have to worry about anything. And obviously, with even with the final hole where she took a double bogey, um, because I think she, you know, she went OB and then I think she laid up twice, whatever, just to get close. Just, she's a two-time world champ for a reason, Kristen Tatar. And I was I was talking to Mo about this, and I and uh, I said, get used to it. She ain't going anywhere for like three years, at least. Like it wouldn't shock me if in the next three years she wins more than half of the majors, at least two a year. At least, just there's there is Missy was as close to catching her as it felt like anyone could be. And it was still six. I'm going to put that in quotes strokes after five rounds. I just think that Tatar has hit another level in FBO division. We talked about this years ago where I said the next, the next step for FBO was going to be a player who could throw a pretty good distance like she does and putt. And that's what Tatar is doing. Tatar is lights out. And of course, it's, you know, it's a lot of her approach game. She is deadly accurate with her approach game. But also her putts. Those 30 to 40 foot putts, she's hitting those probably more than almost any other player other than maybe Own Scoggins. But, man, I don't see how anyone touches Kristen Tatar over the next couple of years. We're, we need another group of players 
to come up that can throw far and putt. There's, I mean, you, you have your Haley Kings, who I think has a, you know, has an extremely high ceiling, but for whatever reason doesn't, and this is obviously just on the outside looking in, it doesn't feel like she has the same uh, competitive drive that someone like Kristen Tatar has. Because you can see when Kristen Tatar is not shooting well, it almost physically hurts her. She, you saw so many times when she had a, uh, the, on that final round, especially on that back nine, when she has a commanding lead, she throws a poor shot, and you could physically see she was frustrated. I don't, you know, most of the other players, when they are in that position, they're probably shaking it off or, hey, I've got six strokes. I'm going to smile about it. Yeah, I threw a bad shot. Well, but not Kristen Tatar. She is driven. So you've got your, you know, Ella Hansen and Holland Hanley who have the distance to compete with Tatar but don't have the putting. And maybe that'll change. They're both relatively young to the sport. They're younger to the sport than Kristen Tatar is and younger age-wise. So maybe they focus a lot on their putting in the offseason and really try to hone that in to get to be, you know, 80, 85, maybe, you know, get up there to the, to those circle one putts because that's what you, you can't, if you're playing, if you want to beat Kristen Tatar, you can't miss circle one putts ever. If if someone like Holland or Ella or even Missy probably went through a four to five round tournament and only missed two to three circle one putts, they would probably beat Kristen Tatar. But that's just not happening. You know, uh, everyone's everyone's hope was that Owen was going to step up, and she had to withdraw with an injury. You know, she had something between her on her forearm to her elbow or it was like something in the wrist area, I believe is what it was where she just couldn't, you know, and it was, it was a sad story. You know, you saw that after round one when she was hugging, they, they walked off a, a green and she, she went up to Kristen and Kristen gave her a hug and showed some compassion. It's Kristen is prone to do, you know, she's a, she's a great competitor and, and a good human. And you could see how it just, how own didn't want to withdraw. Cause she just, you know, this was this could be her best chance to win a Worlds because, as much as I think Own is not going anywhere for a few years, she's not getting any younger. She's not really picking up any distance. So, a lot of the women in the sport are catching her in other ways. Um, but obviously, we were all happy to see Own get her elite win. So, uh, second place, as I said, uh, Missy Gannon, who just couldn't. Couldn't catch her on the final day. There was just there was nothing she could do. Even after she rattled off five in a row, you know there was no worries in Tatar, none. Third place, Holland Hanley, shooting fourteen under. Um, a good showing for Holland. I think again she's got a lot of room for improvement in just golf game, just playing better golf, disc golf, so to speak. Um, maybe a little less aggressive at times, just a little bit better putting. And and I think Holland is, you know, she's going to get that. Uh, she'll probably get a major in her time, but she'll definitely pull in an elite series probably in the next two years. And maybe not surprising, but kind of fourth place, Evelina Solonen. 
If you looked at last year's world's results, the only difference was Paige Pierce was in the top five. Now, obviously, Paige not being here, she's injured with her, you know, her leg injury. Um, but Evel, you would not have last year if you looked at said next year world's cool. I could see a very similar result, Evelina. But suddenly, sometime between <laughs> at the end of last season and early this season, we all we all saw Evelina's putting challenges. So for her, and and they're not she's not through the woods on that yet. But her putt looks so much better. She looks so much more confident. And I really love the comeback story with Evelina on fighting through some of those mental challenges to get to where she is. And and she was <laughs> she shot nine under, Tatar shot twenty six under. So we're talking about a, literally a seventeen stroke difference. But I think Evelina should be and hopefully is very happy with her fourth place finish. And it's something she can build on for confidence and, you know, still continue to work on the putting. She still misses a couple of those short ones. They still, she went through the same thing that uh, Katrina Allen went through a couple of years ago where I, you feel more confident with Evelina from like, uh, from like 40 than you do from 14. Congratulations to Evelina. Um, right behind, or right, not behind her, tied with her best friend, Hannah Blomroos. Hannah still can throw the disc as well as anybody on the on the course, and it's putting that's holding her back as well. Uh, sixth place, kind of a newer name. I mean, if you've been paying attention to Europeans, um, or even you know some of the Disc Golf Pro Tour this year, you've heard of Silva Sarnen. And she, she showed some phenomenal potential, shooting a seven under par that final round. Tied with Holland Hanley, uh, Silva moved up three spots, but she was always in the conversation this week. It's really good to see another, um, another player with this type of talent being so young. I mean, she's she. I think she's twenty. She just turned twenty years old, so she's just a, a hair younger than Evelina and Henna. I mean, like it or not. You know, for what the uh, for what the MPO lacks in in the uh, the European finishers, the FPO is more than making up for. So, congratulations to uh, Silva Sarnen, a name that we are going to kind of keep an eye on for the next few years. Uh, seventh place, Macy Valadia is shooting a seven under, jumping up five spots, tied with Valerie Mondejano, who moved up one spot with a four. Ali Smith getting the ace on round four. What a great! Shot and what a great reaction sprinting down. I, again, this year I got to cut the FPO show instead of the MPO show. Um, it's the first time I've not cut the MPO show in the last six, well, technically last seven years. Um, we missed a year because at the time at in Georgia when it was at the IDGC and Fort at the Fort, not the, not the Fort that we know, but I think it was Fort Jackson. I believe that's the name of the course. There was zero cells coverage at the time and we weren't working with the same equipment that the pro tour has access to now and blah 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 so we skipped that one we did post-production there but um i much more enjoyed cutting the fpo this year but uh ali smith getting that ace and what a what a great move i was sitting here and i was watching it and she you know we hear it on another card 
and we immediately go away. It, it's not even we literally, I think, cut out. We cut away from a player, which we rarely do. If if we're watching someone about to throw, we we usually stick with them. It's like, all right, no, we're here. Let's watch them. It doesn't matter. But with something like that, we cut away because we knew how, how how awesome it was. And she threw that uh, DGA sail, as she said, on a perfect Anheuser, and it just slammed the chains. So that that was a great thing. And she just she maintained that final round. So Allie Smith is another really good, consistent golfer. Uh, I would love to see if she could add a little bit of distance. She's a pretty okay putter. Um, but I think she can do, obviously, as I think a lot of these women understand and know, they can all do a little bit better. And uh, uh, there, there's spots in everyone's game, including Kristen Tatar's, that can that can improve. Uh, in seventh place, one of my favorite, I, I had goosebumps when she hit it. Uh, lucky, Luque Lorenzen on that final hole 18, hitting that 40-footer, 50-footer, whatever it was. Um, I could probably look. It probably says here on Udisc, if I open that up. It's a 60-footer. I'm sorry. Hitting that 60-footer to save her five. Um, and just the, the emotion, the reaction that came out of her, you could see how important that was to her. And to be honest, it didn't really matter score-wise, placement-wise. She had five strokes on Tate. But you could tell that it was just something that Finish the highest Norwegian finisher in world's history in seventh place. And that's pretty much your top 10 for FPO. I'm going to check the board here because I want to watch to see if there's any questions. Uh, Citizen says the Europeans will dominate. Yeah, it's hard not to say that. You know, you've got Missy. M- Missy's in her early 30s, 34, I want to say. Maybe she's 35. I don't know, I'm not, not out, I'm not out here about to guess, <laughs> even though I guess I already did. But I don't see Missy putting on too much more distance. You know, she did gain distance this year, it looks like, and um, but I feel like Missy has kind of hit her her plateau, where she's going to have. I I I just it's hard for me to see Missy popping off like a ten thirty rated round like Tatar does, ten ten. 10-15, if she can do that consistently, she's going to win a lot of events. But, but but it's tough when Kristen Tatar is popping off a 10-30 and a 10-30 in a, round, in, a, in a tournament. Like, just no one has a higher ceiling than Kristen Tatar, it feels like. Well, I guess that's not true. Kristen Tatar, I feel like, has the most, has the highest consistency level. I think there are players that maybe have a slightly higher ceiling when everything is firing. Like, I kind of feel Paige Pierce is that way. If Paige Pierce is, if everything is going right for Paige Pierce... She could shoot a ten forty or ten fifty rated round, you know. If Haley King is the same way, if everything is going right for Haley, if her putting is on and she can drive the disc so well, like. But the problem is, both of those players will follow up that ten forty round with a nine eighty, which is still good. I'd love to be shooting nine eighty rated rounds, to be honest. But it's not going to win. It unfortunately doesn't win you events. Not when you've got someone like Tatar who's almost averaging a thousand. The entire tournament. So, but I do think the Europeans are going to dominate. You're going to see them come over here hopefully next year. And, you know, whether it's uh, Luque, whether it's uh, Tate, uh, Evelina, Henna, 
obviously Tatar, Silva. There's so many good players. And um, it's, I think you're going to see them in the top 10 quite a bit and mixed in with some of our more popular U.S.-based FPL players. It's, it's crazy. I'm scrolling up here, a couple guys here saying Silva is legit. Yeah, I think she, again, she could probably put on a little distance, but it's not, like, there's, she's got such a good game, and when it's on, it's on for her, so. Let's see here, Any anyone else? Um... Yeah, uh, as far as getting to a thousand for Kristen Tatar, there was talk, and again, it's just kind of talk about some people are trying to figure out ratings and stuff that she had to average ten ten her last three rounds after the two ten thirties, I believe, is what it was, something like that. She had to average ten ten for those last couple rounds in order to hit a thousand. Um, she might come up just short. She might, she might hit. I think her rating's going to go up 998, 999. Maybe she still pushes a thousand. I don't know. I guess that could, there's, uh, anything's possible. You know, if, if her rating is 999.2, does the PDJ just like, how does that work? Do they bump it up to a thousand or they bump it down? I don't know how they're, I, I don't know where they round to. Is it always rounding up? I don't know. Or are they just, are they just, do they abide by math? I don't know. I've never asked. So, but yeah, KT uh, Tatar is definitely going to be at least 997, maybe even 998. We'll see what happens. Dust says, I think Missy is getting better, to be honest. She still doesn't have the forehand game. Yeah, she doesn't, and I don't see her getting it. Like, at her, <laughs> at her age, um, many years younger than me, I just don't see her putting in a lot of effort to get that really consistent forehand. I don't know if she sees it's kind of I put myself in my shoes. Um, it's kind of how I feel right now about my forehand. Like I go up back in my backyard and I'm fortunate to have kind of a spot where I can throw a little forehand putters. I practice a little bit. I'm not throwing putters off a tee. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not throwing forehand off a tee. It's just not at my age. I just feel like it's not worth my time and I'm not a professional disc golfer. I'm not on tour. Maybe Missy, is going to prove me wrong and she's going to go out this off season and just sit and, you know, hammer down forehands until she has a good consistent 300 foot forehand. I don't know, but it seems like she's really happy with her backhand turnover. And for the most part, it's really good. It just kind of bitter on hole 18 at the worst time. So, Dust asks, how are the Europeans going to dominate uh, when Heva, when Henna and Evelina can't putt? Um, I think you're, I think you're a little too harsh on that. I think Evelina is pushing through that, and she's. We saw her get better. You know, she she only missed a handful of jaw droppers this weekend, where you're like, wow, I didn't expect you to miss that. Um, but she was looked. She looked really good on the putting green. I thought. Um, Henna, not as much. Anna still has kind of a, a few more of those shake your head putts. But if here the way I look at it, if Katrina Allen can get through it, if Evelina can push through this, there's no reason why Hannah can't. And Hannah's one of the best throwers of the disc off the tee. We've seen it. 
I don't, I don't know. I'm not putting anything past the uh, European women. I think they've got a lot of talent and, and it's not like putting is really the, 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 uh, the thing that pushes your game in FPO yet. We see own Scoggins who regularly throws 50 to a hundred feet shorter than these women getting it done on the putting green. And she's her and kind of a little bit missy and Tatar are really the ones that are dominating the putting game. So there's still a lot of room for growth there. Citizen says the ratings deal is total BS and needs to just disappear. No one cares. I disagree with that. I think that as for the MPO, and I'm glad Terry is not here to do his internet voice or his ratings thing, um, that everyone says they don't care, but yet they're always the first to post and blah, 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 whatever. That's I'll be my, I'll, I'll do my Terry there for a second. I think people do care about the rating and it is a relatively good measure when you have the right scenario. It's a good measure of how you play. And it on a certain course, obviously it just rather we've seen that it can really that there are times it can be skewed. Look at look at Manabu, who was the highest rated player in the world because he was high rated and he truly was a ten thirty to ten forty rated golfer years ago. But then he's in Japan where because of the way the ratings work, and he's always winning because he's that much better than the other guys, and 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 the the quality of competition is not great in Japan. That I believe that the way the ratings works, it just kind of held him there, and we've seen that when he comes over here, he's not performing well. And I don't want to write it all off because I know he he's shooting like nine eighty, nine ninety golf. It's difficult to come overseas and play. Like I've seen Manabu play; the guy can throw a disc very well. I truly think he's probably a 10-20 rated golfer. But he's definitely not a 10-50 rated golfer. I'll say that. And that's no disrespect to Manabu because I've talked, I've, I've, I don't say I've talked with him. I've said hi to him. I've shook his hand uh, at the Japan Open a couple of years, many years ago. But very nice guy. So it's just, uh, it's a nature of where he's at. And I don't think he really, ever touted himself as like I'm the you know number one rated player. It's just it's a figures game. Let's see here. Any anything else on the board? Tim Court says when I throw forehands, I warn everyone on my card that their life is in danger. Yeah, that's kind of how I am. Not so much behind me, although it's probably wouldn't be outrageous, but more so anywhere from about 10 to 2 o'clock in front of me. That's where I that's that's really where I can spray it. Not gonna lie. Do not have accuracy with forehand. Evelina was 43rd in C1X. Yeah. Like again, she missed putts, but she was dead last years ago. Dead last. And now she's 43rd. She's moving up. Again, she she missed putts, but they weren't. It, it was a lot of them were hitting band. It, they weren't like the oh my god, how did you miss the basket putt? For the most part, there were still a few of those. I'm not gonna lie, but there were less of them. So I've got faith. I've got faith in Evelina, and 
and look at look how good she drove if she's still in fourth place for sh- for putting that poorly. So reading through the board, Dustin saying, "Yeah, Manabu proved a flaw in the ratings." Yeah, there's again it. I don't exactly know how it goes. I've heard that like, like there's a pool of all the ratings that the people have, and it's kind of manipulated. You know, so if there's ten thousand total points in the pool, that's kind of how they get distributed, but not really because there's different ways it can flux. But that's just the way it worked out for Manabu. So, yeah, he averaged nine seventy four at Worlds. That's, I mean, again, these are different different courses, different a completely different style of courses than he's used to playing. Different distances, different like. And the and the guy throws pretty well, but it's just it's different. And uh and I and I think he is a better golfer than the nine seventy four. So Yeah, there you go, Dust. Go to nine go to Japan, see if you can break nine hundred. Could happen. Could happen. Maybe you get a thousand there and then get on the tour and everyone would laugh. What do we think is going on with Cat's game? Um, I think she has a, a wrench in the gears. I think she's just having a mental problem. And not like go see a doctor mental problem. I think it's a on-the-course issue. I think she's having an issue with her form. I think she probably, maybe there's a little injury there she's not talking about. I, we saw this earlier in the year where like suddenly her drive just looked off and she tried to fix it and she thought she fixed it. And it just, it has been an issue. And and maybe this is, you know, it's, I, I have, I've had a, a theory going way back about the FPO field. And it's not, Always this way, but in the past, when we've seen a new dominant FPL player, the previous dominant FPL player tends to fall off very quickly. Um, we did not see it when Elaine King and JK, um, Elaine King continued to play, continued to win lots of wins. Um, when JK came on the on the uh, the scene, but when Des started beating JK. Corver suddenly developed a weird putting issue. She she couldn't hit the basket. And I don't know if that was clearly it had to be mental. It just it it just did. Like there there's nothing physically wrong with her. And Corver kind of just very quickly kind of went off the tour after Des started winning. And then we saw Val step up, and Des was hit with injuries, and she kind of tailed off really quickly. Part mostly probably due to injuries. I know she had a hip issue for a while that that caused her issues, but very quickly, suddenly Des wasn't even in the conversation after Val showed up. And this is where obviously my where my shenanigans kind of fall apart because Val still maintained some dominance through the Paige Pierce era. You know, of the first five years, Val was right there at Worlds. She was usually top two or three, if not winning one. And Kat showed up. And then it was kind of the Paige Pierce show. And Val went off and did her thing. And congratulations on uh, 
on Luca. I know I wasn't around last week to say it, but way to go. Thumbs up. Great baby. And I don't know if we're seeing it again with KT. Now that she's shown up, is Kat going to be kind of, is the pressure on her to try to compete too much? Is she going to mentally kind of just fade away? Because physically, she should have all the abilities. Maybe she's hurt. Maybe she just can't figure something out in her in her game, and it and it just is causing that much issue. Um, Paige Pierce obviously hurt with her leg. I think Paige is going to come back, probably be a top five golfer for another couple of years. But I don't know. I would love to see a season where we have KT at the top of her game, Paige Pierce at the top of her game, uh, Katrina Allen at the top of her game. I don't know if we'll ever see that again. Between age and pressure and all these other things, I don't know if we'll see that. And all these young kids that are coming up and just, they're all throwing far. It used to be, you know, Val threw kind of far. And then Paige showed up and just out, like, Paige crushed. And then Kat showed up and Pat and Kat crushed. And Val was consistent. She was kind of like, kind of like Own Scoggins compared to KT, where Val just, she wasn't out driving these women, but she was getting up and down, getting nearby, and putting it in the basket for her budding. Just what she did. She won world championships that way. I don't know. The good thing is the FPO field is so much deeper now. We have so many more competitors. We've got a lot of Europeans now that are showing up and a lot of U.S. players that are just starting to compete and compete at a high level. You know, I, I have a lot of faith in Ella Hansen. I have a lot of faith in Holland Hanley, Macy Valadez. Like these are women who, you know, Haley King, who have potential to move on, to move. And it all depends on their drive. It all depends on their their want of it. Because I think if you want to beat KT, there's no off season. There is practice season. And there is event season. There is no relaxing. There is no, whew, the season's over. I can I can take a few months off and not pick up a disc. I can take, you know, two months off and just chill. Not if you want to beat KT next year. You should be on that putting green and driving range every single day. And that's easy for me to say because I'm sitting my ass in this chair and I don't have to do it because I couldn't. But if you want to beat her, you have to. If you want a chance to compete, if you don't want to continue to take second through fifth, you have to do that. And it's the same thing we said about Paul when Paul was dominant. And Paul took it more seriously than any other player up until that point. Paul was hitting the gym. Paul was out on that practice screen every single day. He was making videos about it. He was, you know, he was doing it. And the other guys at the time, most of them weren't. It was a, it was a game, not a sport. Well, now we see the MPO players taking it more seriously. They are out there practicing. They are getting in shape and being, you know, athletes. And I hope the FPO division really follows suit. It might be a few years. I don't know. But you've got, again, Holland Hanley, who is a very athletic woman. You know, she is hitting the weights. She's working out and she's she's doing these videos and probably probably putting or hopefully driving every day. But again, no off season, just practice season. So Citizen says less than one percent are elite and the rest can have good weeks and win. I don't know. Maybe. 
Uh, Ray asks, am I switching for any other events this season? Let's bring the subject back to something that matters. Me. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm doing USDGC as well. I'll be switching for the USDGC. I don't know MPO uh, or FPO. I don't know if it's technically the throw pink versus um, USDGC. I'm just kind of bundling all that as USDGC week. So I don't know which one I'm doing. Probably USDGC. In general, Ian has always really liked to do um, the FPO side of the sport. That's where his interests lie more. And me, I don't care either way. My interests lie in the tech. And I love watching the golf. But it was really actually worked out really well for me this week. Because I had a bunch of afternoon. A couple, like a week and a half ago, Ian asked me if I could. He's like, oh man, I... I'm on the West coast. And so I would have to get up at like three in the morning in order to do switching and then go from like three till eight or nine. And that kind of wrecks my whole day. Cause then I want to sleep and whatever. He's like, could you, if you only have to get up at six 30, could you do FPO? And I was like, yeah, sure. That's great. And then we had to get up early on the second day and I had to get my ass up at five in the morning so I could do the, finish the MPO round. So Ian, you owe me. You, um, no, I'm just teasing, but it, yeah, I'll be doing USCGC, throw pink or USCG, probably USCGC. But if Ian feels like he doesn't want to get up way early in the morning for that as well, I'll do throw pink. I don't care. It's all the same to me. It's pushing buttons, it's listening to Mo, and calling cameras. So, whatever works for me. Citizen says he practiced more than anyone he knew at golf and still couldn't win. He loved putting till dark. Yeah, it's not in everybody. I could do the same thing. I could I could literally quit my job, play disc golf for the next three years, every single day, and unfortunately, I probably could not compete on the Pro Tour, even in my prime, prime in quotes. Like, if I would have taken the sport more seriously. It's just, some. it's not in some people. Some people just can't can't do it. Fortunately, we're seeing less and less of those people on tour and more and more of the actual people who can on tour. Alfred asks, where is Elaine King? I don't know, Georgia? I think that's where she lives. I think she's still doing stuff for the PDGA. She just hasn't been on DGN this year. Um, I think with all the stuff that happened last year at Champions Cup, I, I think it was just better for maybe both parties rather than draw any interest, even though, again, I stand by Elaine King. She truly did, was not doing anything malicious with what she did. She was truly concerned about, you know, someone being penalized for something they shouldn't. You know, take, you know, whatever hot take you have on Elaine King, that's fine. But I think it was just better that to take the focus off of it and have Elaine just not do DGN. And we have, you know, we've got people like Zoe and uh, I think Hokum's going to kind of start stepping into the role a little bit maybe next year. I know she kind of dipped her toes in a little bit. But we've got, and Val, you know, now that Val's coming through, we we have our FPO commentators. Uh, you know, Juliana Corver, I think she said next year she's going to be stepping into the booth more if she has her way. And I think that's good. I, I don't necessarily think we need Elaine. I had no problem with her, but I don't think we need her. If she were to do it again, I think I would I would be welcome her with open arms. So there was a lot of talk this week about, and it I think it mainly stemmed from Brody, 
on Twitter um, talking about the FPO commentary, whether we're too soft on them, whether Zoe's too soft on them. It's it's, it's a tough position to be in because Zoe is a naturally positive person. And, and again, to meet Zoe is to love Zoe. She's phenomenal. Does she sometimes glaze over poor shots with maybe a little flowery language? Maybe. Could she stand to be a, maybe a little bit more, I don't say ruthless, but critical of players? Maybe. I don't necessarily think we have to. I don't think there's any rule that says you have to, you have to be, you know, mean or I don't say honest, but maybe ruthlessly honest. I don't think you need that. I mean, there, there, there is room for that. Our sport has different personalities and different people can commentate different ways. I, I don't, I have a hard time again, getting behind almost any criticism of commentary. You know, would it bother me if Zoe was a little, was a little bit more um, harsh with her commentary? Not at all. She could be, or she can continue to be, you know, Zoe. I don't, you know, that's J- Juliana Corver. I think she's phenomenal in the booth, but she could probably stand to be a little bit more excited. I think she's a very buttoned up professional commentator, but she's also the color commentator. And I think maybe she has to, for JK, she maybe kind of has to get a little bit more excited at times. Because it's the from in my idea, it's the play by place person to be a little bit more cadenced. Whereas if JK could afford to be, you know, a little bit more excitable, I think she's really good at what she does. I think everybody has flaws in the booth, men and women. I'm not going to sit and go through all of them, but I I have my opinions. I'm sure everyone out there has their opinions. I think, you know, there there's somebody on the board on the board here, but out on one of the Reddits, I think, was complaining they thought Terry was the worst on course interviewer that we have, which I find laughable. And I know my biases. I because I think Terry's the best on course interviewer we have. I think Terry could stand to be a little bit more buttoned up in the booth. I think he likes a little bit he's a little bit too lax at times for me. I think he does a great job. And then there's like 5% of the time where he makes a, a stupid dad joke. And I think it's funny. I don't necessarily think everybody thinks it's funny. But again, I don't think we need to emulate any particular sport. Go, go out and listen to your local AM radio baseball game. And they've got a lot of time to fill. You hear him talking about, like, I, I grew up here with Bob Uecker. Bob would just go off. He'd be talking about anything and everything. I was watching college football. Lord knows why. I, w- I, meant, I went to turn on the evening news, the 10 o'clock news the other night, and some football game was on. And and they were literally, I think they were like highlighting. They were, they were, they were like circling guys' jerseys or something. They were just fooling around. And then the next, I think it was Saturday morning football, one of the announcers jumped off a boat into some water and he sp- split his pants. So they freeze framed it and they circled the split in his pants. Like these guys are having fun. Like there's no reason why our commentators need to be completely buttoned up and professional. I I just think it's a silly, 
it's a really silly thing to be shooting for and to complain about if someone is in the commentating booth and they're having fun. Everybody's got a different style. Eh, I find it so hard to care. I find I I find it so hard to hate on commentators. I guess is what I'll say. Just, but I, I read it. I read a lot of it. So, citizen says I heard people crying about Philo being too slang. I I love Philo slang. I I love his. You know, whatever funny terms he comes up with, his neural, like, I don't even know. Is that K-N-U-R-L? Is that like on a, the neural on like a, a screwdriver or something? Is that G-N-U-R-L, E-R-L, N-E-R-L? I don't know. But Philo's got a lot of fun terms. Um, it, the, only, the only criticism from this weekend I had of Philo was calling out Mrs. Robinson with the Beatles. Like, I think someone in the booth or someone in the control room immediately checked him on that. I was like, no, dude, you're wrong. That's, that's Simon and Garfunkel. Because he came back real quick. He took the big, the big goose egg on that one. Um, and he said it so just, I can get it. Like, it, it just, it flows off. And someone, he probably didn't even think about it. And then someone in the booth or someone in the control room probably was in his ear. It was like, uh, Philo, that's, Mr. Robinson isn't the Beatles. It is uh, Simon and Garfunkel, which Philo probably knew. He just probably said it and never thought about it again. And that's what made I right away I immediately started laughing. I was like, oh, that that was a big fat big fat L on Philo's face right there. Um everyone makes mistakes. So and Philo's a music guy. If you know him, he plays piano, he plays guitar, he he's a pretty good when it comes to music knowledge. So I, I truly believe he probably did know that and just spit out the wrong one and never thought about it. So Yes, you're right. Philo was half right because uh, Cuckoo Kachu, Mrs. Robinson was Simon and Garfunkel, but the original Cuckoo Kachu is the Beatles. So you're right when he said that. He just twisted them. Carney's uh, complaining on the board about commentators talking about what's at, what they're actually seeing. Like, oh, we hit a little low on the cage. I'm not going to lie, and I know. Sometimes I'm, I don't know if I'm unique in this. I don't, I'm not always watching. Sometimes if I need to run errands, I'll throw it on, on my phone, put my headphones on in my pocket and just toss the phone in my pocket or on the seat. And I'm not, I'm not watching, I'm listening. So to, to get some of that isn't the worst for me. I don't mind it if, if the commentator sometimes, and I don't, Clearly, I don't. There's a balance. I don't want it all the time, but I'm sure I'm not the only one that just listens. And I know I'm not because I've had back in the day, even up until recently, sometime someone this year messaged me and said, thinking I still have a lot of control over the broadcast, which I don't. It was like, hey man, I would really love it if we had an audio only version that you know where the guys could just tell us what was going on, like kind of like a radio thing. Because I'm not, I'm, I can't watch, but I'd really love to just listen. And all I thought was like, you're few and far between. There's probably if there were 20,000 people or 30,000 people that watched this weekend, I don't know the numbers. I'm, I think Mo I think Mo mentioned them in some forum, but I, I, I don't know offhand. I know they were, it was like a 10% increase over last year. If there's, let's just say 20,000 people that are watching, there's probably about 100 that would care about an audio-only broadcast. And that's why it's always been like a percent of a percent. So there's just no drive in it. 
So so when they mention that, I care about that a little less just because I'm not sitting and staring at the TV all the time. Now, when it gets towards the middle to the end of the round, I'm I'm right there watching. And I could see how that could be annoying to some people. So three putt says, what's a ham bone? I hear Philo say it all the time. And I think, I think Ian actually brought the term into disc golf. A ham bone is in bowling. Someone made up in bowling years ago that the Turkey is three in a row, which comes from bowling four in a row is the ham bone, which as well comes from bowling. I think his, I don't believe it is, an ultimate official term, but I don't think Turkey is an official term in bowling. I think just everybody uses it. I bet you Turkey isn't anywhere in their, <laughs> their rule book, but everyone knows three in a row is a Turkey. Why a Turkey? I don't know. Why not a pigeon? Beats the hell out of me, but four, someone came up with as a ham bone. And so Ian, I think brought that into disc golf. Just like you hear five in a row now, I think uh, the upshot or something started dubbing it as the Yahtzee. And I don't know if Philo picked up on that. I don't know where he got it, if he got it from Charlie and those guys. But they're starting to call five birdies in a row a Yahtzee. I I don't know. Six? Is is that a six-pack? What's something that comes in sevens? Because we're seeing these players more and more Rack up. Are, are we, you know, is nine a turkey turkey? Because it's a three turkeys? I, I, I don't know. It's just made up slang that that people are, I don't want to say every commentator, but it's kind of fun to know that as a commentator, you can set the jargon for the sport. If, you, if Philo says it enough, you're going to start hearing it on your local course. If you're sitting at league and you throw a disc and it hits and it kind of curls around and someone says, Oh yeah, that just kind of that just knurled over there. It's gonna catch on. It it just does. That's that's the one of the powers of being in front of this camera is you get to kind of you can kind of make those things a thing if 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 it's catchy enough. Philo has a lot of them, <laughs> you know. Philo needs to call the T pad the slab. Someone, yeah, someone else did that, right? Was that was that the Goog? Was that the Goog from the uh, Eagles? Uh, was it Eagles Crossing or whatever it is? Was was he called it the slab? Mm. Citizen says ten is a fat lady or a skinny guy or vice versa. I don't get that. Eight is a, well, I don't like eight as a snowman because that we use snowman as a score for eight. If you take an eight, that's a snowman. I wouldn't use snowman as eight birdies in a row because I think that would be confusing. And why is it? I could see nine as a hangman, although I could also see there being like a little, and, I, and, I, and maybe I'm just being too woke, a uh, woke millennial or something, too sensitive, um, which no one's ever accused me of before in my life. But I could see someone finding a little bit of offense to. Mm, referencing like a suicide or a hanging like for nine as a hangman. I could see someone being upset about that. I mean, for crying out loud, we, we hear people be upset at the DD disc names because they're because they were uh, law enforcement related. Like you're going to find someone that's offended at everything. So is nine being called a hangman? Is that like, 
is that more or less than the the slammer or you know, what the judge or whatever it is? I don't know. I don't know. I, I tend not to be offended easily, but I could see how someone would. So Ryan says I keep Ryan Pilcher says I keep forgetting about on the slab. That's gold, Jerry. Gold. Um, John said John uh Madelone asks, why are there pavers on Brewster? I don't know. Maybe because they couldn't it maybe it was easier at the time when it was built to get pavers out into the woods than it would be for concrete and trying to haul it in a um in a wheelbarrow. Maybe just you could it's easier to get crushed. You could bring wheelbarrows of crushed stone and then these pavers and put them down. I I I I I I don't know. That's a great question. But we could make something up. We could make up a reason. My reason sounds as good as any, even though it's not based in any fact, which is a lot like this podcast. Ray says that the GK Pro Eagles Crossing live stream was probably the funniest story of the past year or so. We need to carry on its memory. I think it depends on who you ask. I don't know. I would hope that right now that the GK Pro guys have are... are that that's one of those wounds that's healed up that you can talk about. That's a scar that you can maybe brag or talk about. After directly afterwards, they put a lot of work into that, and to have that not work out was very unfortunate. Now, from the outside, the whole scenario playing along was a lot of fun. It was funny. The whole you know the the the, the chat room that was in there was phenomenal. It was so much fun. Now, me, I obviously, seeing the production die, I died a little bit inside knowing that they that they had such good intentions that just didn't work out for them. But from the outside looking in, uh, it I was having as much fun as anybody else. So. Ray, I don't know. Maybe someday I'll, maybe I'll ask the GK, bro, the GK Pro guys about what, all happened after the fact there. But what? But I don't talk with them a lot. I hear them on uh, some of our conference calls when we do camera checks and stuff. There's a few of the guys that I think are still doing that. But I don't really see them very often. I hope that they can get out here and I can see them because, you know, go to dinner with them again at the uh, Askren celebrity thing, which didn't happen this year. Normally happens in like, July or something, I think. But we didn't do it this year. Or at least I was not privy to it. But usually I at least know what's going on. And they've always they've come out for that. So Yeah, I hope they're killing it. I hope GK's killing it with the skin stuff now. I hope they're doing all sorts of fun stuff. So Aaron says, how about Ian during the round saying, Rick and Dick are getting broken off by this course. Clearly he didn't mean it the way it came off. I don't think he did. Um, that's not, that doesn't seem like, like Ian might push the boundaries a little bit, but that might be a little bit too far even for him. Man, you talk enough, whether it's this podcast or commentary or sideline, you're bound to say something that sounds sexual. It, it's just the nature of the beast. And we're, uh, as a society, we're very apt to hear that kind of stuff. And it's fun. I mean, look at the Terry comment about the trees 
sucking in the disc. I made sure to say that very distinctly so I would not make that mistake. Um, or germ the other day on the Jomez thing, which I always thought was funny when Terry was kicking the disc. And it looked like Terry was kicking the disc and, and germ had done the same thing. I thought it was funny that they didn't go back. That was post-production. Why didn't they go back and re-record that? Because it was funny. And it would have been a little more work for them to stop, rewind, start re-recording so Germ could kind of correct himself. So it's just one of those things. You're bound to say something. And I'm I'm sure there's been enough about me. At the end, at the end of the year, I want to see a commentary tourney. That would be fun. I mean, DOS... Philo would beat us pretty badly, beat everybody pretty badly. Earhart might—I don't know how Earhart's playing lately. Maybe, maybe he can keep up with Philo. I don't know. Perkins as well. Yeah, maybe maybe doubles. Maybe you take like the color commentators, which are usually the pros, and you have to pair them up with. Either they're their in booth pair or just random draw and you stick them with a play by play guy. So you could get like Philo and Charlie or you know, Terry was t- Terry's the secret though. Like he is the play by play guy, but he's a pretty solid golfer. So and I think Ian might be too. I don't know where Ian stands right now. For a while though, Ian was getting pretty good. So I don't know where Ian is right now as far as his golf game. Anything else on the board? Do we have uh, any questions? What else What else is going on? Obviously, we got PEI this weekend. I expect more players to drop out. Um, it's just, who wants to play the week after Worlds? I'm, again, I'm a little shocked Isaac, Isaac is, but as he said, he wants to get up to, <laughs> to, to the island. It was funny when he was talking about Anne of Green Gables. Like That was a book series that I never read. And I probably didn't read it as a kid because it sounded girly. I, I can't go back into my teenager brain to know why. I also probably wasn't reading that type of book back then. I was more into like mysteries and uh, go figure sci-fi books as that trend has continued. So Anne of Green Gables would have never probably in- piqued my interest. But Isaac sounds like a very well-read young man. And uh, good for him. So for him to go up there, that that's going to be pretty cool for the locals. Being able to see the world, the fresh world champ is going to be an honor. Uh, Ray asked me, was I a parrot head at all? No. Uh, RIP Jimmy Buffett? But no. Never my, never my thing. Like, there, there's a whole subculture of, like, People who follow bands around. And there's a lot of different types. Like, obviously, the jam bands. You've got Fish and String Cheese and Big Woo and all that kind of thing. But you also have, like, the Parrot Heads. You've got the Dave people. The Deadheads, obviously, when that was around. And still, I think, still some of the Deadheads still tour around like that. But, like, that is a whole subculture. Regardless of the type of... Music, that is a whole subculture of fan that was never my thing. And most of those bands, I don't 
it hasn't been my thing. The closest I get to that, I think, is... And I'm sure this is with any band. There's probably like I know people who have followed the Cure around a little bit. That was that was when I was younger. I knew some guys that did that. Um, Pearl Jam as well. I know there's a whole dedicated group that follow Pearl Jam. I think it's smaller than what you normally see at the other type of bands, but um, it just wasn't. Pearl Jam is as close as I get to that jam band kind of thing, and they're not they're not a jam band, but. They do kind of have a little bit of a following like that, so. Mm. But no, never a parrot head, never, uh, never been to a Margaritaville. Nothing like that has ever, it's never crossed, you know. Other than Margaritaville and Cheeseburger in Paradise, couldn't name another Jimmy Buffett song. And my in-laws sometimes have Jimmy Buffett radio playing, and I probably know some of the songs, but never, never really think about it. And the race says, he went once in Cincinnati. It was pretty fun. Just good vibes. Yeah, I totally could get that. That seems like a lot of people hanging out, loving life, relaxing, drinking, you know, whatever they're drinking, whether it's beers or margaritas or what. I could see that being a total chill kind of experience. Like just maybe not even having to consume anything would probably still be fun. He, didn't he have like a cannon he used to shoot off to or something? I forget. Either trust fund or homeless types follow music tours. Um, I disagree with that. Like, how are you homeless but somehow still making money to get into these concerts? Like, are you, what are you doing to get in these concerts? Uh, maybe some trust fund kids. But I, the, the people I knew were more so saved up a bunch of money during the year and then in the summer would, would go on like a, a two to three week tour seeing a band five times like cool we're gonna follow again like we're gonna follow the cure when they're touring the midwest we're gonna hit chicago minneapolis milwaukee if they played milwaukee um maybe go to cincinnati or indianapolis and kind of just do a full tour like that in a two-week one to two-week period that's that's the kind of people that i knew but that's as close as i get <laughs> Ray says, not much of a juggalo then am i no i'm not um, n- not not a juggalo either. That is again not a jam band in the slightest, but there is that subculture of people who just like they identify with the juggalos. And uh, is it Nasser? I think on or is it his brother? Uh, one of the guys who did the hitting the line podcast. I follow him on Twitter, and great guy, total juggalo. Like, inside and out, man. That guy's posting about ICP all the time. And I get a kick out of it. I, You know, I I love it. I love seeing inside of that kind of culture. Not my, not my thing, but it's fun. Caroline says, I'm a carny hater. I'm not a carny hater. I, lo- I, love, I love me at my local county fairs. He says he would follow the Antique Roadshow. Hmm. I don't think I could do that. Citizen says that he had a friend who sold PB&J out of the car following the Grateful Dead. Man, there's some people that'll buy anything, I suppose. Years ago, 
I think Terry and I talked about like just going to Dave Matthews band concerts in the area because they always play Alpine and they always play not always, but they used to play Summerfest and area and just getting a bunch of frisbees, either ultra stars or even putters, and just stamping Dave Matthews band on them. Like at the time, obviously we we weren't necessarily caring. We thought about it, but we didn't necessarily care about the copyright stuff. And back then, if you knew some people, you could get anything you want stamped on a disc. Usually if you do like if you go to DD and you want like a Dimax, a one off, I don't think they have any problem for the most part putting whatever you want on it. I think. I don't quote me on that. I don't know. Because you're not there to like resell it for a ton of cash. But if you wanted to order again like 200 Grateful Dead discs, you can't do that. Like, I don't think many of the manufacturers will let you anymore. Gateway used to be really good about that. They would let you put anything. We used to put Brewers logos on discs for local tournaments and stuff like that. Like, Dave, at the time, McCormick, he didn't really have a, a care in the world. I don't know if he does it anymore. I don't know what a lot of the disc golf... I haven't tried to order stamps or anything like that in a long time. But we had thought, Terry and I were like, oh man, we could probably make a fortune just bringing buying like 500 Frisbees and just going to these jam bands and selling them out of our car. Probably make a couple grand is what we thought. We never did it, never tried. We, I think we'd rather play disc golf on weekends than do that. Citizen says, I bet the Grateful Dead Eagle discs sold like fire. Probably. I don't know. We don't know any of those insider information. Ray says, what's the biggest music festival I've ever attended? Uh, Did I ever make it to a Lollapalooza? I did not make it to a Lollapalooza. I haven't been to many big festivals. I'm not so much a festival guy. Um, Went to a couple warp tours when they would swing through town. Those were fun. But even those were kind of small compared to some of these bigger ones, I think. I haven't been to the bigger ones, so I don't know. Summerfest is technically the world's biggest music festival. Um, it's this huge area in Milwaukee where you just have bands playing all the time. You can do walk, you know, 300 feet from one stage to another and you just keep going. So that's, that is a festival, but it's not like a music festival. It, it's a permanent kind of location. So we go to Summerfest for bands all the time, but for some reason, even though I know it is a festival, I don't consider it like a music fest, like a, like Riot Fest or Lollapalooza or these traveling ones that go around. Warp Tour was the only one. No shock to anyone that I went to the Warp Tour. Saw, God, Face to Face, Alkaline Trio, Less Than Jake, like all, all the old classic late '90s, early 2000s punk bands. That's what I was into. So that's what I that's what I did. The Simon Line. I don't know a lot about the Simon Line. Like, I know he's selling it. Probably gonna sell out. I heard they're like forty bucks. If you're willing, if someone's willing to buy, man, supply and demand. I heard people complaining about the price of the disc. I mean, you hear people complain about everything, so I guess I could say that literally about anything. I don't have a problem with it. If people really want them, they'll buy them. If not, the price will go down. If 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 you think forty bucks is too much. Convince everybody in the world not to buy them. And MVP will lower the price. My guess, not going to happen. My guess is that there is a $40 price point, especially for Simon, that people will just 
hand over because I would be one of them. And I probably will. I'll probably talk to Terry because he'll get a handful of them and, and I'll buy one or two just for a little collection. Just like I did the buzz. I got, I got a, I got a handful of 20 year buzzes. Thanks to Terry. I bought one from daddy disc golf and that's kind of all I thought I was going to get. But Terry had told me that he was fortunate enough that he got a few extra that he wasn't expecting. And they asked me if I would like to buy a couple. I said, yeah, because I told him originally, I was like, Hey, yeah, I'll buy, I'll buy a, um, you know, a handful of them. And then he found out, he's like, Oh no, I'm only getting like X amount. I think he was only going to get like 25 or something because they were really limited on the buzzes. So he said, you can get one off of me. And so that's why I went to daddy disc golf, who was awesome. And he got me one thumbs up to daddy. Um, but then Terry was like, oh, actually, they end up giving me a few extras that I didn't expect. So would you like a few more? And I said, well, yes, I would, Terry Miller. I don't have them yet. I got the one from Daddy Disc Golf. It's upstairs. Don't have Terry's yet because he hasn't been around. We haven't. We've been like ships in the night. Tim Court says Womad was the largest that he saw. Jazz Fest in NOLA is the best. I've heard that. I've heard Jazz Fest is a blast. My mother-in-law went there a couple of years ago and said she just loved it. I think that could be cool. We're talking current events now. Uh, Burning Man was this past weekend, and it got rained on, so it turned into a giant mud pit, and it was scary. One person died. Basically, everything turned to mud, and nobody could leave, and everyone had to hoard their their food and water. And there was a story about was it Diplo, Cindy Crawford, and like Chris Rock had to like hitchhike out of Burning Man. There, there's a trio of people I think I don't think I'd ever put together. But, I mean, it's a big... Burning Man is like a big wannabe hippie fest for corporate people. I don't know. I could never see myself doing Burning Man. Hmm. Uh, Eric says just the prototype normal stock will be 40. The normal releases will be a normal price. All right, cool. So if you want a prototype, then it's well worth it. That is way worth it. Hell, I think this, I think the stock ones could go for 40 and people would complain, but still sell out. Blue boy says someone always dies at burning man. Do they? I don't know enough about burning man, to be honest. I know bunch of techies and kind of influencers and hipsters go out to the desert, pretend like they're in like a commune and do influencer bull crap and then come out and go back to their normal lives. I don't know. It seems really phony to me. Not going to lie, but I've never been there. I'm sure some people, for some people, it is a visionary experience, and I will. I don't want to yuck anyone else's yum. Good for them. David Garber says, there is disc golf at Burning Man. It's one of my 250 courses. That's cool. I wouldn't go out of my way to do that just for the disc golf, but if I were a Burning Man person and disc golf were there, I would do it. But again, again, I don't know enough about Burning Man. It just feels in my gut. That's how it feels. I might be wrong. So, anyway, 
what else? Do we have anything else for the show tonight? Um, obviously, Isaac joined us earlier, talked about his win. The guy's awesome. Um, Alden Harris was in the board chatting with some of our smashies. Is there any... We could look for PDGA news, although, again, it's Worlds Week, so there's rarely there's rarely PDGA news, but this would be a good week to hide something if you were going to announce something. So let's see if anything, if they're trying to cover anything up, if the PDGA is trying to sneak something past us. Um, they're not. It says, thanks for making the... A week ago, thanks for making public comment a success. Um, talking about some new discs that are being approved. That's it. Yeah, and uh, and all their news is all talking about worlds. Rightfully so. I do have to go check out good friend of the show, Dynamite, Dynamite Danovici. He went on. He cheated on us. and went on another podcast. He went on. I think uh, is it debate night or something? I don't know with Brody. Because hold on. Social media drama hour on Smashbox. Um, Brody was being Brody on Twitter. Like he was riling some people up. And again, when it comes to Brody, for me, I agree with the guy sometimes, and sometimes I disagree. I think he's overall in that positive for the sport, and I think sometimes he says stupid things on Twitter. Sometimes he says not stupid things on Twitter. I'm sure I do the same thing. I'm not going to put myself above or below anybody, especially when it comes to Twitter, because that's a place to put stupid things, because it's Twitter, or X, or whatever you want to call it. But this particular incident, uh, Brody was doing like more or less trophy reviews uh, and called a lot of our trophies look like they came out of a garage sale, which, me personally, I disagree with. I've said, I think if you have a really cool history of an event, Play on that history. You know, the uh, the AFDO, which I think is what kind of sparked this, with the Datsun steering wheel, with the cool uh, wood on the inside with the engraving. Um, I, I don't think Brody thought that was nearly as cool as some people, but he also didn't know the history at first. And I think even after he knew the history, I don't think he necessarily cared. Um, which is fine. Everyone can have their opinions. Personally, I think shitting on trophies is really lame. Unless, I mean, in general, even if the trophy is objectively bad, I just, you know, whatever. I happen to love some of our more unique trophies. The propeller, the, the belt buckle, the, again, the steering wheel. You know, it kind of, I would rather have more of a unique trophy set than not. If, you're, if your event has no history, or is relatively new, sure, go out and get a big glass goblet or a giant silver cup. Start putting names on it. Build a history. That's fine. Those are, but to me, those are a dime a dozen. Cool. Uh, an, you know, a giant silver cup. Uh, we have a local event here in Wisconsin that hands out one of those. So how, you know, it's literally called the silver cup. It used to be called Manitowoc in the park. It was on the pro tour for a while. I mean, it's a cool trophy. I'd love to win it. But is it really that unique? If other places are handing out silver cups? I don't know. So me personally, 
I like the uniqueness. That's just me. But anyway, so Brody was talking, and and then he went on to be like raiding different trophies, which I thought was fine and dandy. There's nothing wrong with that. A lot of people are playing into a joke. Dynamite going on and poked the bear a little bit. And then from there, you know, they went back and forth. They chipped back and forth. And of course, as Brody's big thing is, well, fine, come on and debate me. Whatever. Um, and Dana did. He was on the show today and I haven't had a chance. I'll probably listen to it tomorrow because Mo says it's objectively a very funny podcast. So I will, I do want to see how, uh, what went on. I guess it was a very respectable debate. It was a very conversation as I expect between those two. Um, Dana and Brody are both grown men and, uh, you know, <laughs> they're, they're, they're both fine with each other. I think Brody plays a little bit bigger on social media, but when you get him, I've met, I've hung out with Brody. When you, when you get him on a more individual one-on-one, he's been on our show. He's always welcome to come on the show. Um, he's fine. He's a fine human. You know, a lot of people do or don't like him. I, I don't think it matters. Again, I think overall he's net positive for our sport. So I don't always agree with him. Overall thing. So I'm gonna have to check out the Dynamite going on one of the foundation podcasts. Ray says, Did I see the illustrations of past players that were used for the trailers and bumpers for worlds? It looked like AI. I don't know how it was created. I think it was the Jomez artist that did that. Usually and I, I don't know, maybe it was Dustin. Not Dust Moreau, but uh but Dustin from the Pro Tour. I, I don't know who did it, and I'm not going to crap on it. It's Is it my style? Not particularly, but it, it seemed fine to me. Like, you know, when you freeze frame it and zoom in on it, does it, you know, could people do it better with more time? Maybe. Maybe it was a style, you know, again, some people hate Van Gogh. Some people hate Dolly. It's art. You know, art, I guess art is meant to be judged by every individual in the world. Who, who are we to judge? Um, was, was it made with AI? I have no clue. I don't know how it was made. So I, I can't, I can't say one way or the other. I, I hope that there was some artist that put time into that and did that. And that was, you know, that was what they got. And that they hope they looked at that and said, I'm very proud of this. That's all you can ask. But I don't know how it was created. What else is out there? Um, Citizen says, the only trophy I know that really matters in sports is the green jacket and the Stanley Cup. Everything else is where the is where is the check. Um... Yeah, I think in pro sports, I mean, look at football. College football has a ton of these unique, fun trophies. I mean, I think of Wisconsin and Minnesota that go for Paul Bunyan's axe. It's a freaking axe. It's got a bunch of carvings in it, you know, from the winners. It's a cool, unique trophy for the for the team that wins it. It's cool. You know, and I know there's a bunch of them. I'm sure everyone on the board will start rattling off whatever their local sports, college sports team fights for. There's a ton of them. Um. The Stanley Cup obviously has a lot of history. 
the which is funny. The green jacket is funny because that's not even the trophy. That's like an extra thing. The trophy, if you look at it, is I believe the it it is a a, a at least this year's looked like um the building at the Masters. I think that's what it was. I think it looked like the building at the Masters. That was the actual trophy. The green jacket isn't the trophy. They have a different trophy that looks like the, the what's the word? Clubhouse. Thank I'm spit it out. Looks like the clubhouse. That's what the Masters trophy is. I think you can look it up online. The green jacket's like an extra. What do I know? So Yeah, the Lombardi trophy is awesome. I think that 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 carries a lot of weight. Um there's a few of the baseball trophies that I recognize, but you know, there's the one that kind of swirls around and goes up. It's a it's glass. I can't remember what that offhand. I mean, I think the NBA trophy is re- relatively iconic. You everyone pictures, at least I do, Michael Jordan hugging it. I think that's a pretty fine trophy when it comes to professional sports. And again, I, I'm not here. I'm not here to trophy talk. But as far as uh, iconicness, I think that's a different subject. Like, you know, is there anything special about this giant silver cup that for the Stanley Cup? No. But it has the history, which I think is cool. And the fact of how they treat it and where it goes. And then, like, it's treated with, like, white gloves until it's handed off to the team. And then they abuse it. They do whatever they want out of it. Like, it, that's awesome. You know, the Stanley Cup has history. And that's what, again, if if right now your tournament has no history, Get a cool, I'm put that in quotes, cool trophy. It doesn't have to do with what lo, whatever's local. I think it's kind of cool when our trophies represent the local thing. I mean, I liked the uh, the the world's trophy well enough. It didn't, to me, scream Vermont. It didn't scream worlds. Worlds has had a different trophy every year. Different trophy every year. It's kind of up to the locals who run at the TDs and stuff to get a, a, tr- a trophy. There's been some really cool world's trophies, in my opinion. There's been some mediocre ones, in my opinion. Eh, whatever. So. For the Stanley Cup, each player gets to keep it for a week. Yeah. And then they don't treat it with white gloves like they do before it's handed to them. I just think it's really funny pomp and circumstance. So, you know, they have it in this super case and it's all polished up. And the gentleman has, again, the white gloves when he's holding it. And then after the team wins, they hand it to him and it just becomes a. I can't. I don't even want to imagine what those athletes have done to that trophy or with that trophy. Ugh. Like. You know, you know, someone's puked in that trophy multiple times. There's no way that hasn't happened. That's great. Yeah. I hope they sterilize that thing after every person hands it off. I hope it goes through a full sterilization. Yeah, the America's Cup that dates back to 1851. Some re- really iconic trophies out there. Ray asks, if disc golf was awarded a fancy piece of clothing as a trophy, what would it be? We tried this. 
year one of the pro tour. If you think back, there were, there were a few things. There was this really shiny silver jacket. Like it was like reflective silver. I think Katrina Allen won it the first year, I think. And they also had a pro tour ring. God, I somewhere. I don't know if I can bring it up. Let's see if I can. I thought I had a picture of it way back when. Um, shiny jacket. Let's see if it comes up in my Google, if I can find it. I'd have to go back to, it's got to be what, 2016 was the first year of the Pro Tour? 2017? 2016, I think. How did Shiny Jacket bring up just tons of pictures of my kids? I don't get it. I don't know. Well, some of these I get. Anyway, I can't find it, but somewhere I think I have a picture of like the silver jacket that was that was going to be won by the Disc Golf Pro Tour. Was it the points leader or was it the tour champion? I think it was the tour champion. I think the points leader got the ring. So, Colored vest for tour leader, uh, tournament leader, etc. Yeah, I mean, I think we could do some cool things. I mean, we have the obelisks for the PDGA. And those are pretty standard. I've got no issue with those. I don't have an issue. With, again, I don't have an issue with any of them. I don't really care. Almost everyone's happy when they win. You're happy you get a trophy. If you get a trophy, you look at it and go, oh, I won this trophy for first place. Blech, I don't like it. That's a you problem. I un- and I, I do understand pros that don't want trophies for second, third, fourth. I mean, we've seen that for years. Terry has a couple um, non-winning trophies from tournaments like USDGC and uh, GBO and a couple other of those where players like just don't want them because they don't care about second or third place trophies. They care about winning trophies. And so they're looking to maybe get rid of them or hand them off somewhere. And so Terry's always willing to take them because he thinks it's hilarious that he has got like a USDGC trophy, like I think a second or third place USDGC USDGC trophy somewhere. He didn't win it. (laughs) So. Ricky always sells his. He sells his trophies, his other ones. Yeah, it makes sense. Again, these guys care about winning. You or me, man, that second place USDGC trophy would be awesome. Because I know I ain't never getting a winning one. I'm never getting a second place one either, but that's a whole other subject. But even like around on the other side of this wall, right over here, is a small little area of all my trophies that I've won. I like every one of them. Well, I'm going to wrap this up for the night. It's 11.25 Central Time. I think we had a pretty good night sans Terry as he decided to just be a world traveler and go over to Croatia. What was his exact text? I don't know. He he literally told me what was, what did he say? He said, I do want to give a shout out to my buddy, Steve held who won Northwoods open and MP 40. 
came down to like the last two holes and he drained a 40 foot death putt to uh do it so um let's see here maybe he sent it to me in a text cuz it's not in my little chat it's funny terry and i chat like five different places um he says I'm on a plane to Brussels and then Estonia during the show tonight. Let me know what you might want from me. This was stuff because I needed Isaac's information. He's like, yep, I'll be running at disc golf doubles and hanging with the locals and probably even playing in a C tier in Masters. So that's that's what Terry's doing. He flew over to Europe to do that. He probably used credit card points or something silly. Gosh. But ultimately... That's where Terry is tonight, and I hope he does well. I hope he wins his Masters event. I hope he, hope the whole city turns out for doubles, and he makes it a nice, profitable travel. So, someone says check another area for dust. Oh yeah, dust. Those are the pro. Yep, that is the, that is a picture right there. I will, I will see if I can bring that up here. Let's see if I can find right here. So I'm going to show you what the what the jackets look like. They were these silver shiny jackets. They were from Dude, and they were the first Disc Golf Pro Tour ones. Yep. So somewhere, so I, I knew Cat. I forgot Paul had it. I can't remember if it was Paul or, or Ricky that got it, but they both got these shiny jerseys. So I wasn't crazy. That's exactly what I was looking for. Thanks, Dust. Yeah. That lasted one year. And I, I know Steve Dodge wanted to make it a regular thing, but some things work and some things don't, and that didn't work for him. So, Ray says, great interview and great show, Johnny. Well, thank you. I did more prep for the Isaac interview than I normally do because I usually lean heavily on Terry for interviews, as everyone knows. I tend to monitor the board, kind of do the little switching, and Terry has usually been on site or knows the player, so he can kind of rattle off, and I'll throw my two cents in. But I did a little bit of research for the Isaac interview. Not going to lie. I really did want Gannon to be on the show. I wanted him to be my co-host because I thought it would really be fun to have Gannon surprise Isaac with Gannon as the co-host, but it didn't work out. Um, so. All right. Okay, let's try that again. All right, everybody. For your two-time major champion and one-time world champion, Isaac Robinson, For me, Johnny V, for all of our Patreon supporters, you know who you are, patreon.com slash TV. I cannot talk. Patreon.com slash TV, where you can become a patron of the show. For as little as a dollar a month. I want to say thank you to everybody who made the show fun tonight. I'm not going to sit up all night and talk music like I have in the past when I do a solo show. I'm actually going to get some sleep. Kids are back in school, which means I'm getting up early again to make sure they're on the road and where they need to be, getting everybody breakfast and dressed. That's my morning. I'll be up in less than, about, you know, less than six hours. I got to get up. So it's been a fun show. Thanks to everybody who joined. This was podcast episode 470. And I am your host, Johnny V. Have a great night, 
and we will see you in Zero After Show this week. But we'll see you next week when we talk to somebody, maybe the PEI winner. Maybe we'll just do a recap. Who knows? You never know. Anything could happen. Have a wonderful night. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley, in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.